Microsoft's AI benchmarks, Ford's high-tech business transformation, and analyzing the top ERP systems in the marketplace. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover here today in episode number 157 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients through their digital transformation journeys, including their software selection and implementations of enterprise technologies. I'm your host here today, and with me, as always, is our co-host, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited for today's episode. Lots of great content. Yes, I'm excited too. We do have a lot of great content. And uh, this is a weekly podcast. If you haven't listened before, this is a weekly podcast with new episodes every Wednesday. You can go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see the past episodes as well as to keep up with the new episodes as well. Again, go to transformationgroundcontrol.com. This podcast covers everything related to digital transformation, including people, process, technology, and strategy sides of transformation. And this is a tech agnostic uh, view of the market and uh, the content here today. Uh, the show is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting Group, which is an independent consulting firm. As I mentioned, that's a company I work for and Kyler works for. Uh, we're an independent consulting firm that helps clients through digital transformations. And it's uh, this podcast is produced by Major Tom Productions. So uh, thank you for being here today. We've got a great episode. We're going to cover uh, some questions from the audience to start the segment, uh, the opening segment. We're going to get into some hot topics uh, after that opening segment with questions from the audience. We're going to get into uh, Microsoft results and how they offer a new AI benchmark after a tumultuous quarter. So we're going to talk about AI benchmarks from Microsoft here in uh, just a moment. And then we'll also talk about Ford's digital transformation that's being fueled by the cloud. And then later in the show, we're going to have our first guest, uh, Sam Gupta from Elevate IQ. He's going to be on the show with me to talk about uh, analyzing some of the top ERP systems in the marketplace. And then finally, we'll have uh, Judith O'Callaghan and Aaron Robeson uh, on with you, Kyler, to talk about the power of perception in digital transformation. So uh, we'll have that on in our third segment later in the show. Um, so stick around for that. So before we get to our guests, though, um, what are some of these audience questions you have in store for us, Kyler? Yeah, absolutely. So we've we've got some great questions. And if you are new here, how this works is if you comment on any of our third stage consulting group social media or on Eric's social media, then we take those questions. We ask them live in our podcast. A lot of times Eric will comment on there that he'll address it in the podcast. Um, so a great opportunity to answer them. And they are not just for Eric. They are here to support our mission of creating transparent dialogue around digital transformation. So this is for the audience, too, um, as well. So we, we um, definitely look at all of those different um, areas in which we can kind of create that conversation. So this this first one um, is from TikTok. And as we've talked about on um, some of our other previous episodes, our TikTok users can be younger and a little spicier. 
So this one says, dude, you're wrong. There's zero pay to play with Gardner. Absolutely zero. Other providers, yes, but not Gardner. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to this. And just for some context, this is talking about how we get transparent and integrity-based data around different systems or processes um, from our analyst partners. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's interesting that there's occasionally the strong reaction to my comments that Gartner and not just Gartner, but Forrester and other analyst firms um, are paid by software vendors um, because they are. I mean, that's that's their revenue model and their business model. Um, so I don't it, it's hard for me to to argue or dispute it because it, to, to me, it's like, uh, you know, almost like arguing whether or not the sky is blue. Someone tell someone's telling me the sky is not blue. And I just think, well, I'm looking at it and it is blue. <laughs> so I don't, I don't even know how to, and, and the thing with Gardner, I don't even know how to, how to argue with that. Um, because, you know, we've been approached by Gardner about potentially sponsoring, uh, you know, some sort of quadrant that would prominently feature third stage consulting. So I know that that's the model in, in, you know, a lot of the different quadrants and the different micro verticals that they focus on and create magic quadrants for, or, you know, anal analyst reports. Um, I'm not saying that um, they're not, honest, you know, that, but there is money involved. And anytime there's money involved, it, it I have to think it's going to influence um, how, how a analyst firm is going to portray a software vendor that happens to be their customer, their paying customer. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure how to argue it, to be honest, but I've been in the industry long enough to, to know that Gardner and all these guys take money from software vendors, which is why we're independent. Part of why we're independent is so that we, we as a company at third stage consulting are not influenced by software vendors in that way, especially financially. Most definitely. And and maybe a way to look at this is is our mantra of professional skepticism, right? You know, the, the data is, is useful, but understanding the different agendas involved in it is just part of ensuring that you really understand what information you're getting within the industry. Um, so definitely a, a good one there. You can head over to TikTok or um or our YouTube channel, Eric talks a lot about the Gardner analyst type of model. So definitely recommend that as a follow-up if you're interested there. I'm curious to hear from the audience too, as we have you know a lot of passionate um, people around this specific, uh, this specific topic. So definitely let us know what your thoughts are in the comments here. Um, the other one, I picked a kind of a funny comment. Um, it said, um, the mob family business has the same problem. And this is from your family business video feedback. Um, so you had a business or you had a video recently that talked about specifically family owned businesses um, and the challenges that they can have when it comes to growing or scaling or changing um, in that way. And it's gotten a lot of feedback. So I thought I would bring this to uh, the episode here with this kind of funnier comment to talk about the complexities of family business. So why is it that family businesses specifically are a bit more complex when trying to go through things like changing systems or changing processes? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and part of the reason I created that video is because, you know, there are some nuances that we see with family, family owned businesses that are that are different. And some of the nuances include the fact that, first of all, you know, family owned businesses, there's just a personal connection to the business uh, from the founders and the family members of the founders that you, you don't get in, in sort of a, a more traditional corporate environment. 
So that's, that's one part of it. And then the other part of it too, is, you know, a lot of times family owned businesses are, are more tightly knit in, in meaning that they're a, a stronger, closer collaborative group in many ways. And that generally is a strength, but when it comes time to change and to scale the company and to grow and get it to the next level, sometimes that can be a barrier uh, to, to the growth. And so um, that's one of the things too, is just moving. One of the things I talk about in the video is how family owned businesses have to figure out how to move from being purely a people based relationship based business and a tribal knowledge based business to a more scalable process based repeatable process based business. And I think family owned businesses in some ways struggle with that. Although I will say any growing company is going to struggle with that, but, but family owned businesses even more so. So those are a couple of the, the smaller nuances that um, I see coming you know, from family owned businesses. I, I don't think I referred to the mob in that, uh, in that video, but uh, this person is connecting the dots here between general family businesses and the mob business too. So I'd be curious to hear more. How, do, how does a mob organization or criminal organization scale? You know, maybe that should be a, a future topic for uh, another video sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's the 20th anniversary of The Sopranos. Um, has, um, oh, is it? Yeah. So I think that's where that kind of comes from, but it would be a good kind of pop culture topic to talk about maybe in one of our blogs. Um, but uh, yeah, curious to hear from from the audience too. If you want to see that full video, that is on Eric's YouTube channel. I'll also mentioned that our small business specialist, Christy Barber, who's been on um, the podcast many times, um, also has a full um, family-owned business series on our Third Stage Consulting YouTube channel. So it's a great watch, even if you are kind of in a, a high high growth marketplace without family dynamics. Um, there's some great uh, insights in there too. So our last question today is about a system. And I know you're going to talk with Sam later in the episode about specific systems. This one references Sage, but what I really wanted to ask in this question is just in general, this user was saying that Sage tech support or their vendor support has just gotten worse and worse. And they asked if you kind of knew what was happening in the industry. But I thought I would kind of generalize it um, in looking at what should we expect from tech support when it comes to working with an ERP vendor? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I mean, I think it's a, it's a tricky question and it's a tricky thing for software vendors right now because a lot of them are ramping down support of their legacy products. And they're trying to reinvest that support in the newer uh, cloud solutions. So you're seeing a lot of support issues and deficiencies in the software vendor community right now. So um, that is a it's a relevant question. But I think you know when you when you pay for a software, whether it's on prem or, or especially if it's cloud, um, you're paying for maintenance. You know you're paying for the the support of the software and making sure the software works and that sort of thing. Now, of course, if you um, if you break the software, if you do something to it, like uh, customize it in a way that breaks the code or breaks the the way the software is built, um, that makes support more difficult. And that's more of a gray area that may fall more on you as an organization to fix. But in general, you should expect that your software vendor is going to um, support whatever system you're using and whatever issues you might have with that with that software. Um, and just because you're you, maybe you're using an old, outdated system, um, or what a software vendor says is old and outdated um, doesn't mean that you shouldn't have support for it. And that's why it's somewhat egregious that you have these big software vendors that are cutting off support after a certain amount of time, sort of an arbitrary 
sunset or cutoff date there. Um, so if, if you haven't reached that sunset date for your software vendor, then you should absolutely expect and demand that you get the support that you're you're looking for. And I, I can make a pretty strong argument that even if it's after the sunset date, you should still be supporting or, or demanding that you get that level of support um, after the fact too. Absolutely. Um, and just some supplementary content around that too. We do have our what to do if your system is being sunsetted, which um, has a lot of great information on how to source additional outside support if you're struggling with the vendor support too. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend that to this specific user, um, but we'll definitely get into more system talk later in the episode. So stay tuned for that as well. And I know we're going to get into a few hot topics here in just a few minutes, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got a couple hot topics. We're going to talk about the uh, Microsoft results from uh, the recently quarter results and uh, their new artificial intelligence benchmark that's included in those results. We'll talk about that here in a moment. We'll talk about the business transformation that's fueled by the cloud at Ford Motor Company, the, the U.S.-based auto manufacturer. And then later in the show, we're going to have our first guest, uh, Sam Gupta from Elevate IQ, is going to be on the show to talk with me about how to analyze some of the top ERP systems in the marketplace. And then later, after Sam is on the show, we will have Aaron Robeson and Judith O'Callaghan on the show to talk about the power of perception and digital transformation. So stick around. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. The show is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, which is an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And that is the company that both Kyler and I work for. Um, so if you'd like to learn more about what Third Stage can do and how we can help you through your software selection or implementation of new technologies, please feel free to reach out. Um, my contact information is included in the description field below. So all that being said, um, you've got a couple hot topics in store for us here. Uh, Kyler, what do you what do you have in store for us? Well, first, let's talk about um, Microsoft. So Microsoft recently released their quarterly earnings um, after a, a really rough kind of end to 2023. And most of it focuses on the growth of AI. And the reason I wanted to pick this is we talk a lot about AI as a trend, but this is actually a focused case study around what AI does within an enterprise technology. So just to give you some background. So... Um, the the Q2, their Q2 fiscal year of 2024, they expect $61 billion in revenue, which is a 16% increase from the previous year. 
And then also with their market performance, their stock has risen over 21% in the last six months. And they really attribute that to the release of their co-pilot, which co-pilot, which we covered a little bit, is an AI product for businesses. And that launched on November 1st. And it's really kind of a key indicator of Microsoft's growth into the AI space. So the thing I wanted to bring to you here and kind of ask you about and see if this is going to be a trend for other enterprise tech is um, Microsoft introduced Copilot at $20 per month per user. And that's really the software as a service type of subscription model within AI that's been successful for them. So I wanted to see if you felt like this kind of user-based per AI um, application, Copilot is for business efficiency within using their 365 program. Um, if that will kind of be a trend in using it as a subscription um, in getting kind of an AI opportunity within your enterprise technology. Yeah, I think that's the pricing subscription model that most software vendors are moving towards with their, their core cloud applications. So I think it makes sense that Microsoft and others would would price their AI solutions like Copilot uh, in the same way. So I, I imagine that that's going to be the way that a lot of software vendors try to monetize AI and other other solutions that they roll out in the future. Absolutely, and it's um it's interesting to see kind of the other key points in the earnings report. So they had an acquisition as well, and then they moved from a trend of a lot of layoffs, which we saw in the tech industry in 2023, um, to trends in hiring and an increasing headcount, as well as revenue from security projects um, and products that will help with cybersecurity for kind of mid-market solutions. Um, so just kind of an overview around that, but definitely a very interesting case study to see how AI is impacting software vendors um, from an earnings standpoint and kind of the pricing structure around understanding what that looks like for your business. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about another titan in the industry. Um, so this is uh, another case study of Ford's kind of high tech business transformation. Um, so what they've done is really focused on kind of the Tesla model, as I've called it, really going from, uh, you know, a, an automotive company to a, a huge technical shift. So what they've done is they've evolved from being just a traditional automaker to more of a software oriented company. And this shift is really um, evident in what they call their software defined vehicle or SDV for short, because we need we definitely need more acronyms in the industry. Um, but it gives uh, gives kind of an opportunity to showcase how you have taken a, a very established legacy company and moved it into looking at how do you have a technical technology um, component that's a really a, a huge backbone of your product. Um, so I wanted to to kind of bring that to you to see in the automotive industry. I know Third Stage has a lot of clients in in this space. Do you see a significant shift from just traditional manufacturing to more of looking at what is our software model and product for our customers? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. And, and you mentioned uh, Tesla and, and how Tesla has become you know a lot more than just a, a product company. And I think that's what a lot of industries are moving towards is more of a technology enabled uh, or data enabled 
sort of organization that takes a core product and, you know, sticks to their knitting in some ways that in this case, Ford, Ford's main competency is building cars. Um, but they're adding data, they're adding technology to it to, to create a more complete product and a more complete customer experience for lack of a better word. And I think they're probably taking a play from Tesla's playbook because Tesla's really sort of fine tuned and mastered, um, mastered that, that whole concept. And in fact, we had, uh, on this podcast several episodes ago, at some point last year, we had uh, Walker Reynolds on the show who uh, talks about Industry 4.0. And he talks in that podcast interview about Tesla and how Tesla is not really a car company. They're a data company um, that happens to make cars. And here, in the case of Ford, they're a car company, but they might be um, sort of moving in that direction to become a, a automotive manufacturing company that happens to also do uh, data and technology too. So I think it's something that's uh, you know, we can learn in a lot of different industries about how technology and data and integrating products with technology and data could could provide a better customer experience and a better overall product for, for our marketplace. And, and it's interesting that it's actually created a new revenue stream for the company. Um, so Ford has their platform is called Ford Pro API. And really that's providing data from connected commercial vehicles for internal and partner applications. Um, so that gives them a new opportunity to create even a new business unit through their software platforms, which I think is incredibly interesting as well. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, just to tie the two together so you can kind of see how that looks. So for the AI integration, they use that across the various aspects of its operations from call centers to vehicle technologies, as I mentioned. But they're also utilizing Microsoft Copilot to enhance productivity in their algorithm development. So kind of an interesting tie between the two is you see one from a vendor side and one from a consumer product side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I know. And 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 I think this is a great kind of segue into your conversation with Sam so that we can, you know, talk about kind of what is the enterprise tech landscape look like with the um, introduction of kind of these new focuses on strategies and technologies. Yeah, that sounds great. And we're going to uh, shift gears and have our first guest on the show, Sam Gupta from Elevate IQ is going to be on to talk about, uh, he and I are going to analyze some of the top ERP systems in the marketplace and talk about some of the trends among ERP vendors. I'm sure we'll get to the topic of AI. It's hard to talk about technology today without talking about AI. So I'm sure um, getting back to the point uh, of the Ford case study, we'll, we'll build on that in this next segment. Um, so we'll have Sam on the show to talk about the top ERP systems in the market. And then we'll also have um, Aaron Robeson and Judith O'Callaghan on the show to talk about the power of perception in digital transformation, a, a great conversation that you have with them. So we'll have them on the show later as well. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you 
reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. This podcast is sponsored by the company that I work for, Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients reach their third stage of digital transformation success. So if you're going through a digital transformation and you're looking for a tech agnostic advisor to help you with software selection and or the implementation of whatever software you've chosen, uh, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to chat with you about how we can help you through your journey. So I'm excited for our next guest, uh, Sam Gupta, who is a first time guest on the show. He's, he's, uh, he has his own podcast and he's someone that, uh, he and I have crossed paths a lot over the years in this industry, uh, but he's never been on this podcast. So we thought it'd be a great time to bring him on to talk about, uh, analyzing some of the top ERP systems in the marketplace. Uh, both his company and mine publish rankings and reviews and comparisons of different systems in the marketplace because we are both tech agnostic. Uh, it affords us the luxury of being able to be pretty candid about the pros and cons of different systems in the marketplace. We're going to have him on the show here. Uh, excited to have him on the show to talk about um, the top ERP systems and how they compare to one another. So with all that being said, Sam, welcome to the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. It's an honor. I love your work and the podcast. So thank you so much once again for having me here. Yeah, thank you for being here. And uh, tell us a little bit about um, Elevate IQ. I know you and I have similar upbringing, similar spaces in the in the industry that we, we try to fill. But tell us a little bit about your company and uh, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So just a little bit about me, uh, you know, Sam Gupta, CEO, Elevate IQ. Um, Elevate IQ is very, very similar, uh, you know, offering as you to the independent, uh, you know, digital transformation as well as uh, um, ERP selection, implementation, change management, I guess. Um, um, overall, uh, about me, very similar background, roughly what, 20 years in the industry, um, in the consulting industry itself, I guess, you know, doing very, very, very complex uh, transformation initiatives, complex transformation um, um, you know, combining the majority of the enterprise software categories, um, ERP implementation, obviously, uh, uh, they are major part of it always. Um, so yeah, and uh, WBS Talks uh, is a podcast, uh, very similar topics uh, as you, um, ERP, enterprise software. Um, yeah, so that's about me. Great. So you, you and I both have this uh, independent technology agnostic view of the world and of the ERP software industry in particular. So as a disclaimer for today's conversation, neither you or I are affiliated with any of the software vendors we're going to talk about here today, right? Just to make it clear that we're not we're not here to sell software, right? Exactly, I guess. I mean, uh, and I'm going to have a comment on that as well. Uh, I guess independent has become sort of a buzzword right now in the industry. Everybody is trying to claim independent, even if they might not be independent underneath. Um, so obviously, you know, that's one of the things that is... Uh, it's almost like ERP. ERP is a buzzword. It's a marketing term, right? So independent has become the buzzword as well. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And and one of the sort of setting the context for for today's conversation too, in, in that independence that you talk about, Sam, is that you and I both both of our respective companies publish each year uh, a series of top ten rankings of top ten ERP systems, uh, top ten ERP systems for yeah. small business, for manufacturing, for you know different verticals. 
And so in today's context or today's conversation, we're not going to go through each of the top 10 lists, but we are going to talk about some of the general trends, maybe some of the differences you and I see you yeah. know, in our respective top 10 rankings and just how we see the software vendors fitting in the market in, in general. Um, but I guess before we dive into, you know, sort of talking through the top 10 lists and, and what some of the differences are, what are some of the general trends that you're seeing in the ERP software industries? We enter 2024 and plan for the remainder of the year and the coming years. What are some of the major trends you're seeing in the ERP software industry? Yeah, happy to share. And uh, I guess we are going to have a list for pretty much everything. So we have a list for um, the trends as well. Um, generally, our trends are going to be slightly uh, broader, I guess, more from the enterprise software uh, perspective. So we publish our trends from the digital transformation perspective. Obviously, that impact the ERP space as well. Uh, but from the trend perspective, number one, I mean, one of the obvious ones, obviously, is going to be AI. Now, if you look at AI, uh, understanding the direct impact of AI on ERP is slightly harder. Okay, that is something that we have debated a lot. Uh, you know how ERP space is going to change uh, because of AI. Um, so a couple of changes that are going to be there is going to be the way we are going to process the transactions. Um, I guess, you know, the whole marketing space is going to change a lot. That's the biggest consumer of um, AI at this point of time. Now, when you look at uh, ERP, other ERP trends, uh, sustainability is a big topic. Um, you know, ESC is a big topic. E-invoicing is a big topic, uh, more in the international uh, context. And I know, Eric, you have a lot of international audience as well. Um, and uh, in general, whenever any trends um, that start, um, whether you talk about the AI development at this point of time, LLM development at this point of time, um, that is going to be in infancy. So for the most part, when they start, the architecture is going to be all over the place. Everybody's sort of trying to um, chase these opportunities. So um, generally, there is no sort of consensus in terms of where these things are going to reside. So for example, let's say if you look at architecturally speaking, okay, um, if you look at e-invoicing, ESG, literally every single software category is trying to chase that. And it's very custom, very ad hoc. There is no consensus, no framework, uh, nothing is streamlined as such. So it's going to take a while before we understand how this is going to impact each of the um, categories, um, including ERP. Now, I know that you guys talk a lot about, um, and I don't know, you know, where you stand as of today uh, in terms of where ERP industry is. Some people argue that you know uh, ERP is no longer relevant. In our case, uh, our position is that ERP is actually becoming more relevant. Now, depending upon how we define ERP, I guess there might be differences in that as well, right? Um, so right. the way we define ERP is if you look at any of the enterprise software category, the way they all grew, okay? It's all driven by sales and marketing, distribution strategy. The way distribution strategy is going to be for your enterprise software. So for example, let's say when these ERP systems started, they started with very small system, maybe a very small vertical, and then soon they started growing, they uh, started acquiring companies, um, developed capabilities. That's how they became big. In 2024, if you look at a lot of different ERP systems, in fact, uh, if you look at some private equities, they are spinning off new companies. Even in 2024, they are trying to create in force of the world, Aptines of the world, Constellations after of the world. 
Okay, so one company is called Advantab, which is like 2022. Can you believe this? When there were no ERP deals in the market, these guys are trying to create the company. So I don't know if that right. gives you some sense of different trends. I mean, the consolidation is, is definitely going to be there. We are going to see a lot more overlap. And because of those overlap, we are going to see a lot more problems with respect to failure and you talk about that as well right because it's going to become really confusing okay who is what um it's very chaotic overall um so that's where i guess you know companies like us are going to play much bigger role now the customers are realizing that as well that you know it's not as easy in general um, just because of all of this overlap and obviously every company is trying to promote their software their you know company it's in the best interest right so it becomes very confusing for the customers to really figure out you know how to sort of build an architecture that is going to um, deliver on the business uh, goals so i know i i provided a lot of context here so I don't know if that is enough for you. Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting. So you have, you know, the evolution of technology itself, and then you've got the vendors that are acquiring and, and consolidating capabilities, and it's just constantly changing. And I think you're right. It is, uh, it is, it can be overwhelming just to determine or keep up with how the software is changing and, and uh, you know, how they compare to one another, uh, too. Um, just turning to our audience real quickly, too, here's an interesting comment from... Uh, Anders on LinkedIn. He's excited for a top 10 list of the web's best top 10 ERP lists. So that's, that's not a bad idea. There's, there's a, it's not just you and I putting out top, top 10 lists. Now there's all, all kinds of, uh, yeah. you know, analyst firms and consultants that are putting out their top 10 lists. So uh, be curious to, I'm curious to hear from the audience, you know, do you, do you look at these top 10 lists? Do you look at the, you know, magic quadrants of the world or do you use that as a way to keep up with the industry? I'd love to hear the feedback from the audience on what, what sort of resources you use to keep up with uh, some of the evolution of, of the industry here. Um, also turning the audience, just want to um, give a shout out to where everyone's joining from here today. We've got uh, people from all over the world, uh, India, Kenya, Dubai, Austin, Texas, Frankfurt, Germany, um, India, Egypt, um, all over the place. So thank you for, for being here uh, today. Uh, Dave, uh, Dave on LinkedIn says two powerhouses right here. And uh, he's excited for excited for the conversation. So I'm I'm just flattered that someone refers to you and I as powerhouses. You know that's a that's a flattering uh, compliment there. So thank Same you. Same here. <laughs> um, and then uh, someone else on LinkedIn. I don't see the name of the person, but they say I uh, hope they don't go at each other's throats. Uh, just kidding. So we'll, we'll try to keep it civil. We're we're gonna try and be um, respectful to one another. Usually we are. We we don't usually fight when we see each other at, at industry conferences. We've only gotten in a couple of fights, right? It's only been a couple of times we've actually just a couple. Yeah, nobody yeah. knows about it. You know, it stays in the room. <laughs> you, you want, yeah, right. You want both, but uh, we're going for best of five on, on our in-person uh, fights here. So we're here with Sam Gupta talking about analyzing the top ERP systems in the market. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. 
If you're interested in joining a high-growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kibberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, which is an independent consulting firm that helps clients through their digital transformations, including the software selection and the implementation of new technology. So feel free to reach out if you'd like to learn more about our company and how we can help out. And the show is also produced by Major Tom Productions. So all that being said, we're here with Sam talking about the top ERP systems in the market. Let's jump back into the conversation. So here's a question, uh, sort of a good um, context setting, um, sort of a base baseline question here from Raza on YouTube. What's the difference between SAP and ERP? Yeah, so very interesting question uh, if you want me to touch on this. Um, so obviously, you know, um, SAP is the publisher, um, but before that, um, probably going to define the ERP because I think I saw one more question, I, I believe from Kyler, I mean that. Do you think ERP is now actually just a network of integrations? So Eric, if you allow me, you know, I can touch on both questions if sure. you want to uh, bring that in, right? Um, so sure. it's a very interesting, this one is a very interesting question and that is probably going to set the tone for what a real ERP is. And this is also going to be aligned to your question, um, Eric, I guess, you know, you wanted to touch on systems such as Odoo, um, you know? Um, so now what is an ERP? Good question, right? ERP is a marketing term, but if you put a bunch of software together in a suite, is it really an ERP? I'm not too sure about that, to be completely honest, okay? So traditionally, if you look at ERP, it was more for the cross-functional process integration. How much cross-functional integration you want from the transactional perspective? Okay, so that was the whole intent of ERP, and that's why ERP matters. Once companies grow in their life cycle, when you are going to be at 30, 50, you know, 100 million, 250 million, uh, a billion dollar, okay, at each stage of the company, they are going to have very different problems. In general, when people, um, you know, debate about these things, they don't necessarily have as deep database fundamentals, and that's why they struggle to understand what a real ERP is. So uh, the easiest way to understand this would be, let's say, you have a spreadsheet. And a spreadsheet may have, I don't know, when a spreadsheet may have 10 different um, you know, tabs. Now, you may have collection of spreadsheets. Um, for example, let's say 100 spreadsheets or whatever. Now, these tabs are not necessarily going to be connected with each other. There's a possibility that you might be able to connect maybe just one field, maybe a couple of fields, but that is going to be very limited connectivity as well as limited traceability. What ERP does is ERP literally, uh, you know, can you can sort of pick uh, the, the entire data model using any of the field and you can change the whole perspective. That's the kind of connectivity and traceability that we are talking about from the ERP perspective. Now, when you look at these collection of apps and you are going to bundle together in a box, that does not make it an ERP. Okay, because the 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 each of the apps that you are going to have again, depending upon how the data model is designed underneath, it's all driven by data model. Okay, so if each of those apps are going to have independent data 
models independent data bases that means there is no communication there is no collaboration between those it's almost similar to buying two different apps so that is not necessarily an erp and that's where i guess we get into these debates okay is zoho an erp sure it is going to have accounting it is going to have all of those modules functionally speaking the marketing speak um, you know you can call that erp because it's gonna you know check all of those boxes that sure you know it does everything that uh, your info marketing material is gonna say or uh, your sap marketing material is gonna say but the point is is that really an erp so again, these things are really driven from the data model perspective. So SAP is a publisher, ERP is a real ERP. And you know, once you require that cross-functional transactional integration, that's what an ERP is. And that's where ERP has a place. So again, if you really want to find out what a real ERP is, you need to go by the data model, how many different data models are there, how connected, how traceable they are, and then you will know what a real ERP is and what is not. Right, right. No, that's a great, a great overview and a great way to answer both of those questions about SAP and how SAP is defined in the world of ERP, um, as well as um, uh, Kyler's question as well. Um, here's a, a kind of a follow up, and you were starting to touch on this a little bit, Sam. So I'm curious to see what you think here. But uh, this is from LinkedIn. The question is curious about what you've experienced in the last year with your customers. Is there a desire to break away from the huge monolith such as ECC or S4, which are two of the um, SAP ERP products in the marketplace, ECC and, and S4? Um, is there a desire to break away from the huge monoliths like SAP to favor a best of breed approach? So in other words, you mentioned Zoho, there's other, you know, sort of best of breed solutions that sort of do what ERP does, but they're not full, complete ERP system. So how do you what are you seeing with your customers? Are, are they trying to move more towards best of breed or, or are they truly migrating more towards the, the traditional single integrated monolithic ERP system? Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, that's a very interesting question. Thank you so much for asking that. Um, okay, so there are always going to be layers with ERP conversations, okay? And layers are going to be based on how much money do you have in your pocket? Uh, okay, because it is all driven by that. It's all driven by budget, how large you are. So number one variable that you always want to see is how big the company is. If you are going to be enterprise, then you are going to have very different transactional processing requirement. The way your learning model is going to be, the way your organizational model is going to be, it's going to have very different priority than your mid-market companies or the small companies. Okay, in the case of small companies, they are going to have, again, very different needs. So these are very different market segments. For the most part, when you talk about any SAP, S4, HANA product or ECC, now this is a humongous product. For the most part, it is really meant for those enterprises because when you are going to have these global workloads that you are trying to host in one database that is going to be deeply connected across the globe, across all of your plans, that's when your SAP matters. Now, to compare this with your best of breed, now best of breed could mean a lot of different things, okay? ERP, again, is a marketing term. ERP ne was never meant to be everything replacement, what is that program, I guess? It was never meant to be that, okay? But right. people, <laughs> whenever you try to simplify any complex model, uh, you know, you hurt a lot more, I guess, overall. Um, so that's where the state of ERP is. But for the most part, the goal of ERP was always related to your financial transactions as well as financial data. 
now finance could mean a lot of different things as well okay there are always going to be layers with erp so when i say financial meaning any transactions that are going to touch dollar probably are going to be more relevant from the erp perspective but my e-commerce friends are going to talk about hey my transactions also touch uh you know um dollars so now uh, are we keeping all of those processes inside ERP? So there are always layers to these things, okay? But when you look at different enterprise software categories, they are designed for a purpose. So your CRM, your ERP, your e-commerce, your MES, your WMS, TMS, these are different enterprise software categories. ERP systems, they have evolved over the time and they are trying to grow their architecture because they all are trying to increase their deal size. So right now, if you look at SAP S4 HANA, is this just an ERP or is that a suite? So SAP S4 HANA, if you look at architecturally speaking, it's a collection of best of breed applications, okay? SAP has bought these applications over the period of time. So obviously you have the core foundational ERP. But then if you look at, if you compare the, the architecture of your ECC versus S4 HANA, in the ECC world, they were doing a lot more things inside the ERP itself. But then they have learned the lesson that, you know what, when you are dealing at that kind of transaction volume, you need to have slightly more disconnected architecture. It makes sense for enterprises. It might not make sense for mid-market when you are going to be super limited on your budget. So again, I don't think there is a clear answer to these things. This is going to be based on what your organizational priority is, what you are trying to do from your architecture, how much budget you have, how much can you afford with these custom integrations, uh, you know, um, custom processes. So uh, that's where I guess you need to make a decision for your architecture. Your architecture is going to be your architecture, not your vendor's architecture. Obviously, they are going to create the architecture because they all are trying to promote the suite. They are trying to increase their deal size, but you cannot be completely dependent upon the architecture that they are trying to promote. Right. Uh, I don't know if that answered the question, uh, Eric. No, that's a great that's a great answer, and I think a, a lot of times one of the the terms we use on this um, podcast fairly often is it depends. You know, it depends on what it is you you need and what you want and what your maturity is. And I know you do a lot yep. of research and analysis of of the maturity of different ERP systems in the marketplace. We're here with Sam Gupta talking about analyzing the top ERP systems in the market. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more transformation ground control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kuberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, which is an independent consulting firm that helps clients through their digital transformations, including the software selection 
and the implementation of new technology. So feel free to reach out if you'd like to learn more about our company and how we can help out. And the show is also produced by Major Tom Productions. So all that being said, we're here with Sam talking about the top ERP systems in the market. Let's jump back into the conversation. Are there certain um, software vendors or solutions that you're particularly excited about or maybe framing it another way? Are there certain ones that have moved up your top 10 rankings, you know, more so than others? Are there just certain vendors you're excited about? Yeah, so let's talk about the list, right? So there are always going to be certain uh, changes. You guys uh, make some changes to your list based on the experiences that you are having in the market. Uh, we make changes as well. Uh, for the most part, number one thing that people should know that, okay, these lists, and I don't know, Eric, how it works in your organization, um, it is never one person's work, okay? It is going to be the entire team. We have a very democratic process um, inside the company that we follow. Uh, you know, I'm not the only one who's coming up with these ideas and and publishing these lists, right? Uh, and when you follow any democratic process with anything, okay, uh, there are always going to be debates and, uh, you know, uh, in terms of how, what we are going to come up with these lists. So uh, the point that I'm trying to make is whenever you are looking at the list, you need to look at the, the number of variables that are driving these lists because they matter far more than the ranking itself. In fact, we have debated and we were like, okay, um, shall we keep the numbering or shall we just take it off? Because, you know, from our perspective, to be completely honest, list is a list, okay? Those right. numbers, one to two to three, don't matter as much, okay? When you look at these lists, the purpose should not be that, okay, I'm looking at this list and I'm going to buy a system just because Sam Gupta says so or Elevate IQ says so. Uh, you know, that should not be the intent of the list. The intent of the list is to weed out 1 million ERP systems and that's how many ERP systems are there in the market, right? And they might have just one installation and that is also in their cousin's company. So those are the ERP systems that we are trying to weed out, okay? So we now, not everybody's gonna know the S of the world or the oracles of the world. So that is the, the real intent of the list. Now, coming back to your question, okay? How, what changes did we make in the list? So, so the way we like to look at these things, we have roughly what ten or twelve different criteria. Uh, you know, we uh, put a heavy emphasis, uh, and obviously, once you change these vari variables, the list is going to look very, very, very different, right? Um, so, for us, I guess you know, we really believe in the out of the box functionality uh, of the ERP, but we also emphasize, okay, um, how broad applicability of the solution is going to be in the market. So let's say if a solution is going to be very focused, then it does not, it's not as diverse, uh, you know, it's not going to be as applicable to many different industries. Sometimes companies struggle with that because they are going to outgrow. Uh, let's say if they are very heavily involved in the MA. So, uh, you know, that is one factor. There are many different factors. Uh, we look at, you know, the roadmap of um, um, the solution itself, you know, how publicized the roadmap is. And sometimes when it is not publicized, it's very hard to understand where the vendor is really trying to move. Um, so we really put a lot of emphasis in that. So one of the things that we have done for this year's list is, uh, I think uh, we had very similar experience, I guess, right? So I don't think Sage Intech, Sage actually, any of the Sage products are there uh, on the list anymore. And again, I mean, this is a top 10 list. You have a million ERP system and we are simply yeah. trying to narrow it down. <laughs> and sometimes the race is going to be very close. So it becomes very, very, very hard to push, okay, just 10 ERP system, uh, okay? So um, Sage products are not there. What else is not there uh, as part of the list? Um, I don't know if there are any 
major movements as such. Uh, Microsoft is probably ranking a little higher, I guess, on our list. Uh, but again, when you look at the generalized list, they don't mean much. So one of the recommendations that we always have is try to find a specific list if you can find. Now, there are million industries, million you know companies. So it's very hard for Eric Kimberling or Sam Gupta to publish all of these lists, <laughs> million lists right. out there, right? So then you have to sort of move up the cycle. Okay, what closest you can find? And based on that, can you make some determination and probably find some options that you can bet further? But the intent is never um, sort of that. So I don't know. I mean, see, uh, from the major movement perspective, that's probably uh, what uh, is there. I don't know if you notice anything else uh, on our list, Eric. You can tell me. Yeah, I I think one of the well the one of the big differences between your list and, and my list and and also um, going back to one of the questions uh, just a moment ago is I I think we probably placed a higher a potentially higher weighting on some best of breed solutions. So for example, we had um, the Salesforce Force platform, yeah, and Workday in our top ten. Yeah. And I don't believe you did, and I and it could be because of what you said is in in a lot of people will criticize us too for including. The, the force platform and workday in a top 10 list of ERP systems, because you can make a pretty strong argument that workday and force the force platform are not ERP systems. So it gets back to that gray area. I've, I've probably stepped more. We've probably stepped more into the gray in our top 10 list than you have potentially, but where, where do you see, you know, how, how do you, how do you see Salesforce and workday and some of these best of breed solutions? How do you see them fitting or competing with the big ERP vendors? So yeah, so very interesting uh, question. And again, there are always going to be layers and it's equally hard for us as well, to be completely honest, okay? Um, and uh, if you look at our ERP vendors list, so we have Workday on that. Because again, how do you define ERP, okay? So right, yeah. right now, Workday's capabilities at this point of time, they probably have a finance module, okay? Um, you know, they have finance, they have FP&A, uh, you know, they have, obviously they had ACM all the time, um, you know, uh, they probably have indirect procurement at this point of time. Um, so it's looking like an ERP, uh, but, uh, you know, if you look at their financial statements, uh, you know, and that's my hobby, I guess, um, you know, I really dig into those, right? Um, I don't think Workday like to, uh, you know, position themselves as ERP even as of today, okay? They have always positioned them as the ACM platform and ACM is a world in itself, okay? They have a lot more that they can do in that. Uh, but Workday is very interesting. So I'll, I'll touch a little bit more in that when we see Workday. So for example, let's say if you look at our ERP vendors list, Okay, so in ERP vendors list, you are going to find Workday. If you look at some of the service-centric list, see the ERP for service-centric industries is going to be very different. You are going to find Workday there because Workday could be a great fit for those service-centric organizations. But is it a great fit for any of the product-centric organizations, which is going to be your manufacturing retail? Um, and retail is very interesting as well. I can touch on that as well, okay? Uh, <laughs> so sometimes you might see Workday in retail and you might see that, hey, they are doing retail, so they should be fine, let's say, in distribution manufacturing. But again, these industries are very, very unique the way they work. And sometimes the only reason why they are using an ERP is as, as the corporate financial ledger. If the entire scope of ERP is corporate financial ledger, you can literally pick an accounting system and it's probably going to be okay. You probably don't have an ERP system, right? So right. Um, now coming back to your question related to uh, Force.com platform, right? If you look at Salesforce financial statements, 
I really don't believe that they are trying to position themselves as ERP. They are positioning themselves as more of the platform play. They are trying to become the next Microsoft. I don't know if they think that they are already Microsoft. There's a possibility. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. But that's what they are. They compete had to hand the CRM market, right? Um, so they are really trying to become the next Microsoft, and, and their goal is really to disrupt the CX category. If you look at the, the recent acquisitions, the way they, the kind of product that they have acquired, they are really not trying to become an ERP vendor. That was never their interest. In fact, I mean, see if you have noticed any of the movements that happened in SAP portfolio, SAP CEO moved to ServiceNow, ServiceNow as CEO moved to Snowflake. The reason why they moved is because they didn't see any future for ERP. <laughs> But right, they completely right. misunderstood, right? I mean, <laughs> how yeah. ERP is supposed to work. So, and that's why, I mean, the only reason why SAP CEO was so excited about ServiceNow that they were thinking that, you know what, ERP is done. It's all going to be these best of breed application. And the only thing that is going to matter is these best of breed application. So what CRM, ACM, all of these applications have done, they have created a new market. Okay, it's a completely brand new market that is very, 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 very different from your ERP market. So again, Salesforce's intent was never to be an ERP vendor. There are certain ERP systems in their portfolio, for example, Rootstock, you know, Certinia, those are the ERP system, but they are trying to decouple themselves from Salesforce because when they couple them themselves with Sports, of the Salesforce app, it's not a real ERP system. So right now, if you look at Financial Force, Certinia, they rebranded themselves because they don't want to <laughs> couple themselves. Right. So we really don't see force.com platform as the ERP because if I go back to my uh, original commentary related to the data model, right? The CRM data model is supposed to be very, 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 very different compared to an ERP. So a CRM will never be an ERP because again, these things are driven from data, data integrity, data model. That is very, very, very hard to change, even if you are going to change the front-end technology that is much easier to change. And that's what a lot of legacy vendors have done. When they claim that they are cloud, they are cloud only from the front-end perspective. Back-end is still the same, um, you know? So I don't know, Amici, I, I again answered a lot of questions there, a lot of context, so, you know, <laughs> more questions, yeah. I guess, Eric. Yeah, yeah, and here's a here's a follow up question from from Edson on LinkedIn. Edson says we've implemented a best of breed approach, but with integration with marketing tools being complicated as well as marketplace tools being required, we are looking to see what the best approach would be. And I think that's a really good point in that if you go with a platform and or a best of breed approach, which again I th I think you know you and I are trying to, even though we're agnostic and independent, we're trying to sort of fit within the definitions that the industry has created, right? And, and they've created this definition called ERP, and that's yeah. a very gray area. But but I think that the downside of going with a platform approach to ERP or best of breed approach to ERP is that you do have integration, you've got multiple systems you have to manage, and it sort of, in many ways, defeats the purpose of a true ERP, which is a single integrated system, right? And so I think in some ways, there's some advantages to best of breed or platform, but there's also a trade-off as well. Would you agree with that? Yeah, exactly. I think great commentary. So I'll touch on some more points there, I guess. Overall, uh, you know, that'll help uh, listeners in understanding uh, uh, whether they should take the best of breed approach. In general, when you are taking best of breed approach, that is always going to be more expensive. Okay. Sometimes people underestimate how much 
uh, expensive your customizations are going to be in general even if you are going to own a single line of code okay that is always going to be more expensive than buying from somebody okay that is these are the general principles because again i don't trust my own code to be completely honest eric i don't know about you uh, you know <laughs> because it's right. it's very hard i mean we don't have the same expertise we don't have the same cybersecurity experts um, you know we just don't have capital and we don't have economy of scale so if you look at this from that mindset that okay you should always be buying as much as possible but there are going to be certain areas where the custom code makes sense and that's where the expertise such as your enterprise architecture expertise when you look at this more from the enterprise architecture lenses when you look at this more from the enterprise reconciliation lenses then these things will become slightly easier i don't think it's going to be as binary argument the way you guys are um, you know debating at this point of time whether it is going to be best of breed versus um, you know the other choice in general when you are doing best of breed your master data governance is going to be very 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 hard the enterprise integrations they are generally very hard creating a software is very easy creating integration very 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 hard right yeah very very true and it's uh it puts more pressure on your internal it function and department to be able to manage to to that uh to that need for integration data management and all that stuff that you you just mentioned there we're here with sam gupta talking about analyzing the top erp systems in the market we've got a lot more to cover we're going to take a quick break we'll be back with more transformation ground control Aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kibberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, which is an independent consulting firm that helps clients through their digital transformations, including the software selection and the implementation of new technology. So feel free to reach out if you'd like to learn more about our company and how we can help out. And this show is also produce my major Tom productions. So all that being said, we're here with Sam talking about the top ERP systems in the market. Let's jump back into the conversation. So we talked about best of breed in, in the platform, uh, uh, the platforms like force.com. Um, but what about open source? So you and I both have uh, yours and my companies both have Odoo, for example, which is an open source ERP system. We both have Odoo in our top 10 list. How do you see open source software fitting into the the bigger picture, the bigger category of ERP systems. Yeah, so open source is a very interesting argument to be completely honest, okay? And open source is great. Um, um, typically, the majority of the implementations that we have seen from the Odoo perspective in general, they are driven by very, very, very technical people uh, in general. Um, if you look at open source, okay, what is the business benefit? It's going to be very hard to argue, okay, sure. 
um, you are going to argue that you are probably saving in licensing. Okay, the source is going to be available. Okay, right. but let's go back to the foundation of what an ERP is. ERP is supposed to be a product. The only reason why you are buying a product so that you don't have to customize. Okay, the whole premise of open source software is, hey, I'll give you code. You can customize as much as you want. <laughs> okay, the right. only reason why you are buying ERP is because you don't want to customize. Okay, so the open source is causes far more trouble in general, and then you are using bunch of you know university grads i guess i mean they are committing the code in the open source ecosystem which is great uh eric when i'm using my music application okay please create right. because that is free i like it okay right. please, please do not swipe my credit card on that application okay right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna appreciate that so right. so that's where the real difference is so when you say open source uh you know you are re revealing substantial ip and that is available for anybody. And anybody who has even little, um, you know, coding background, they know how to reverse engineer these things. It's very easy. Okay. So this is far more financial risk in our opinion. Now, when you look at Odoo, and Odoo, again, the whole team is very technical. Uh, even the CEO is very technical, which is wonderful. Great. Uh, okay. But at the same time, when you operate the ERP space from the technical mindset, then you don't necessarily understand the business perspective, I guess. Uh, you know, so here, one of the challenges are going to be that they are always going to argue that, you know what, these are very disconnected apps and you can do whatever you want. But when you start talking to them, okay, tell me your ERP capabilities. So this is what we hear, okay? We have website, we have marketing automation, we have, uh, you know, a lot of things they have nothing to do with ERP. Okay, so from the ERP perspective, now if you compare Zoho and Odoo right now, if you look at their data model, they are very, very, very similar. Okay, you have some integration, but as such, the data model is not integrated. They don't have the tight financial integrity that is supposed to be with ERP, and that's why uh, Odoo is a great product, you know, for startups. So let's say if you are going to be maybe uh, under ten million dollar, that's great. But then. Uh, if you are going to grow from there, as of today at least, based on what we have seen, it does not have those uh, mature ERP capabilities. And uh, Eric, I don't know whether you have seen uh, our maturity curve, uh, the ERP maturity curve that we publish. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, so there are like 10 stages. So if you are going to be on that maturity curve, Odoo is going to be probably fit for you. Maybe when you are going to be on step zero, step one, maybe step two. So Odoo is a great product when you are trying to find a replacement for QuickBooks, but is it a real ERP as of today? Uh, uh, I, it's hard, it's hard. Yeah, if you're, a, if you're a large, complex, diverse organization, it's a lot harder to use a, an Odoo or, or an open source system like that. But if you're a smaller, mid-sized organization, it, it, could be a, it could be a viable alternative to the traditional ERP systems, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to hear from the audience too, you know, what. Sam and I are talking about our each of our company's top 10 lists and some of the trends we're seeing, but I'm curious to hear from the audience if there's certain ERP systems you think are particularly uh, strongly positioned in the marketplace, or if you think there's other systems that maybe they're going to struggle in the marketplace too. I'd love to, love to hear uh, from the audience here uh, too. Um, what do you think about you know, you talked a lot about AI and uh, we've talked about open source, best of breed. We've talked about a lot of these different types of technologies that are um, affecting and impacting ERP systems in the market. 
What about cloud? We've sort of, you know, with all these new evolutions of different emerging technologies, we've forgotten about the whole cloud migration in some ways yeah. uh, as an industry. But what? how do you think that some of these legacy vendors like SAP and Oracle and um, Infor, Epicor, a lot of these software vendors are, are making that migration from their on-premise legacy systems to their cloud solutions. How is that affecting the ERP software space in general, and, and more importantly, how is it affecting your customers that are moving to the cloud? Yeah, so it's very interesting. Uh, you know, obviously, if you look at long term, um, you know, I don't know how much on-prem is going to be there. To be completely honest, okay, because the reality is that companies not were not making any money in the on-prem world, and they are trying their best to push for cloud now. From the customer's perspective, I don't know which is the better approach, to be completely honest. Um, uh, you know, there's always going to be a debate. Um, you lose a lot of control with cloud. There's no question there. Um, the way the cloud systems are designed, uh, obviously, every vendor, every system is taking a very different approach. The kind of controls that you had uh, in the on-prem world, you just don't have that. Um, and I don't know how much people have analyzed how much financial risk you might be bearing at this point of time uh, just because of the change in the model, change in the responsibility, change in the ownership, okay? So we are sort of early in the game, Eric, I guess. Um, you know, in cloud, we are probably going to find some newer trends later on, uh, you know, because we're very early overall from the cloud adoption perspective. We have not come across the scenarios where some companies are going to run into real challenges when they don't have access to databases. They are not necessarily able to migrate the kind of uh, you know data that they are they were doing it in the the on-prem world. So if you look at the enterprises, I guess I mean probably in 2023, 2024, SAP has really picked up. If you look at their backlog at this point of time, I was reading the news yesterday. Probably that's 50 billion dollar right now. So obviously enterprises are becoming slightly serious in moving to the cloud. But mm. if you look at the overall risk assessment, <laughs> it's hard to comment at this point of time how this is going to go overall from the cost perspective, uh, overall from the risk management perspective. But in the long term, I just don't see uh, that uh, on-prem is going to be there. So the sooner you move to the cloud, the better. Uh, that's what everybody wants in the industry, uh, <laughs> including ERP vendors. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I, th I think you're right too. That um, I mean, it, it's the ship has sailed. The software vendors are moving to the cloud, whether you agree or disagree or like it or not. That's that's where the the vendors are all going. Um, and so it's a matter of you know, can you find the right cloud solution that has the the flexibility and the capabilities that you need in general? And I think that's the big question because a lot of times companies will will compare or evaluate the on-premise systems that they're familiar with and assume that some of the cloud solutions can do a lot of the same things. And it's interesting because cloud solutions provide a lot of new capabilities that on-premise never was able to afford or provide. But in other ways, there's some capabilities that are still being migrated over from the on-prem, you know, decades of on-prem R&D. Now you're trying to move it all over to the cloud rewrite of the software, which is I think that's where a lot of companies get into trouble or they, they don't understand the gaps, you know, that remain between cloud and on-prem. Um, here's an interesting question. I, I don't have a good answer for this, but I'm curious to see if you do, um, Sam. This is from Fathima on LinkedIn. And Fathima says, why do you think cloud-based ERPs are now rolling out desktop applications? 
Yeah, so it's very interesting, okay? Um, they are definitely rolling out. So it's a mixed feeling. And um, some cases, the applications that you are seeing um, are connected to the cloud. So they are not necessarily very thick applications the way you used to run in the on-prem world. For example, let's say if you look at LinkedIn right now, okay? And obviously, we spend a lot of time, um, Eric, on LinkedIn, right? So Eric, uh, uh, LinkedIn has just created a Microsoft app, okay? So that's going to be a desktop app. So they are trying to create this desktop experience as well. But for the most part, these apps are not necessarily running by themselves on the system in on which you are running. They are talking to the cloud. So the only thing it has is the front end piece, uh, but it is still talking to the cloud. now. Let's look at the challenges. And companies have learned this hard way. Even companies, uh, you know, not companies, I would say products as small as QuickBooks Desktop or QuickBooks, uh, even Sage, I think they used to struggle a lot. For example, let's say when you are going to combine this, your desktop experience and the web experience or the cloud experience, okay, that never goes well in syncing, okay? Even though you might want to think that, hey, two-way sync, easy, you know, my Google Drive, I have my OneDrive, everything should work seamlessly. It doesn't work that way, okay? The only reason why, for example, let's say we compare Google products with Microsoft products, okay? Google products always were better. The reason why they were better is because they were designed for just the web interfaces, just the cloud interfaces. They never had to worry about the desktop interface. Microsoft had different problem. In the case of Microsoft, 90% of their users even today, they had the desktop application. So now you are trying to sync two different technologies, one desktop, one cloud. That is much harder than simply either creating for cloud or creating it for desktop. So that is the challenge that a lot of ERP vendors are running. So when you are going to be mixing this, you are always going to have data reconciliation issues, data synchronization issues, uh, you know, data corruption issues. And, you know, in some cases, for example, let's say if you have QuickBooks like database, you can do whatever you want because right. the database is going to allow, okay? But if you are going to do the same thing inside ERP, the business rules are so tight that I don't can even, like, you, you can't even delete that. You, you have to just wipe it out and recreate, and that's probably going to take two years to populate the data that you had inside ERP. That's how tight right. the data model is. So if you're doing this in systems such as your HubSpot uh, or QuickBooks, uh, you know, or any of these smaller systems, they don't necessarily have any of the rules enforced uh, from the database perspective. So for them, creating this experience is okay. So again, everything is driven by data model, how tight the data model is going to be. In some cases, that might be okay, but the only reason why they are launching these desktop apps is because obviously the desktop experience, when you look at the Windows experience, when you have to uh, uh, combine these Windows alerts, uh, any of the Windows notifications, you know, they are slightly easier on the desktop interface. The web is never going to have the same experience. So companies struggle with that. Uh, these are all design challenges uh, from the software creation perspective, um, you know, software distribution perspective, I guess, as well as adoption. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, makes makes total sense. We're here with Sam Gupta talking about analyzing the top ERP systems in the market. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If 
you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kibberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, which is an independent consulting firm that helps clients through their digital transformations, including the software selection and the implementation of new technology. So feel free to reach out if you'd like to learn more about our company and how we can help out. And this show is also produce my major Tom productions. So all that being said, we're here with Sam talking about the top ERP systems in the market. Let's jump back into the conversation. Here's a comment from uh, Kyler, and this is in response to my question earlier of what, what software vendors do you think are particularly prominent or, or making good inroads in the market? Which ones, you know, are some of your favorite software vendors in the market? And Kyler says, I think IFS is having a moment. They're shifting into the main conversation for core ERP options. And Maybe we could talk about IFS for a minute because IFS is a good example of a product and a software vendor in general, much along the lines of uh, like, a, you know, Epicor, I'd, I'd sort of categorize in the same way where they're not trying to be a big, massive ERP system that does everything for every industry. They're fairly focused, you know, on, on where they play and where their strengths are. Um, how, how do you see IFS and others like it fitting in the marketplace? Maybe the more I don't want to call them a niche solution because they've they've scaled well beyond just a small niche. You know, they they have their strengths in field services and uh, construction and you know uh, companies like that that have the, sort of the mobile workforce and the field service uh, maintenance repair sorts of needs. Um, how do you how do you see these uh, call it tier two vendors? I don't mean tier two in a disparaging way or a negative way. It's just they're they're not SAP, right? They're not trying to be a big massive ERP system. How do you see some of these more focused ERP vendors fitting in the marketplace and some of the strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, so interesting argument. And again, uh, you know, I think one of the keywords there was core. So I don't know how you define core, to be completely honest. Who is core? That is something I think very hard or challenging for us um, to provide context on. But for the most part, I guess, when you look at IFS, uh, IFS has a very unique strategy, okay? They excel in certain industries, certain verticals. They are designed for certain verticals. And it's it, it's almost, I mean, it's not even fair to be, com to be honest, um, to compare, you know, vanilla ERP with the focused ERP, because they all are going to have very different strategy, even though we put them on the same list. It's just not fair. Okay, right. um, to be completely honest, okay? So when you look at IFS, IFS, as you know, I mean, they are really strong in the field service, uh, in the EAM, and obviously you are going to pay the price tag for that. So now how are you using IFS? Now, if you are going to be, let's say, 
$25 million manufacturing company, uh, you are trying to install IFS, you are probably not going to be using the capabilities that they are really known for or they are really good at. Okay, so their role always is going to be best of breed because they are a very unique product. I don't think they are trying to become the mainstream ERP. Let's not, not call mainstream, uh, okay? Right. <laughs> because yeah. mainstream could mean different things, right? So yeah. when I say, yeah, I mean, they are not trying to be more of the vanilla ERP. Vanilla ERP is going to have slightly more broader application. IFS was always a unique product. They are targeting very specific industries in their industries. In fact, I mean, I don't think they even have a competition to be completely honest. So I don't even see a reason why they would target other industries when they are so good at the industries in which they are competing. So, and those are going to be slightly more service-centric industries. And there is a clear divide. ERP strategy is, for example, let's say if you look at Workday, Workday only targets service-centric industries. I don't think they are ever going to target product-centric industries because they are never going to work. Otherwise, you are recreating Info Epicor. Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense. So every ERP system in the market, they are targeted for very, very, very specific business processes, very specific business transactions, very specific industries. The problem is that when you try to put this under ERP bucket and, hey, this is my tool and I can solve every problem in the world, uh, that's when the problem starts. So overall, from the IFS perspective, IFS is doing really well. Number one, they are really ahead in the cloud. That's the reason why they are doing so well. Um, you know, obviously, SAP at this point of time, Oracle, they are not going to have the same capabilities, especially when you look at, uh, you know, field services, EAM. Uh, IFS is going to have far stronger capabilities. Uh, IFS, as of today, I mean, they are penetrating really well in North American market. Um, that's our understanding. Uh, you know, um, they have one, I guess, one of the largest logos. I We have not seen those logos even with Microsoft, to be completely honest, okay? So after Oracle SAP, if you look at the size of the logos and the size of the companies that they are able to penetrate, uh, I don't think anybody else can manage the industry. And they are able to do that uh, because of those best of breed expertise. Sometimes they are going to be used only for the field service EAM solution, but they might not be now I'm going to use word core. <laughs> I should not be using that, right. uh, you know, but they might not be the, the main ERP. Sometimes they could be just the best of breed application, um, you know, sitting by the, 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 the core financial ledger, which is going to be your SAP or Oracle. Right, right. Now, what about um, one other thing I want to refer to in your top 10 list is uh, NetSuite. NetSuite was number one on your list. It was fairly high on our list. It wasn't as high um, in our ranking. Yeah. Um, but why, why was NetSuite number one? And, and where do you see NetSuite being a good fit for some organizations? So uh, one of the factors that we generally utilize for our ranking is, you know, what are our customers asking, okay, when they come to us? Um, as such, if you look at, you know, other solutions, for example, in for Epicor, Focus Solutions, there's nothing fundamentally wrong about those solutions, okay? There are always going to be uh, pros and cons, but some customers, they are going to be, absolutely married to either SAP, Oracle, NetSuite, Microsoft. These are the only options that they are asking. If you look at any of the holding companies, private equity companies, okay, companies that look for slightly more diversified solution, they are, NetSuite is probably the 
number one solution that is being asked to be completely honest number two is probably going to be microsoft so for us if you look at the wider application of any solutions okay it's very hard for these focus solution to target all of those industries because that's not their target market their strategy is very different so why is netsuite number one number one reason uh, is obviously their technology is superior they are far ahead in cloud they are far more global solution compared to the solution that only other global solution that are going to be there is probably uh, you know your microsoft obviously they are very globalized as well now people are going to argue that you know what you know we have localization and globalization in every country but that is going to be partner owned so we have a little issue when you are going to say partner owned because that particular component may have just one installation okay and that could be a bottleneck so even though you are buying netsuite but you are not going to be successful because that patch that you have put in that is not as good as netsuite so when you look at this list we are looking at the core product core ecosystem um, you know how successful customers are going to be so that's why you know we cannot find sometimes i mean <laughs> who do we rank number one is it going to be probably microsoft uh, right. you know uh, sap is very enterprise solution oracle is very enterprise solution so it's not going to have um, as broader application as well so it's it's very hard so honestly speaking i mean i don't know if number one number two really matters Okay, yeah. that's how you should be looking at this list. I mean, just go by the top 10. These are top 10. And just don't worry about number one, number two, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because ever if you were to do, if you or I or our teams were to do a custom top 10 list for every client we've ever worked with, you're going to end up with a bunch of different top 10 lists, you know, if you were to rank them, because you're going to base it on specific criteria, specific priorities. And, you, you know, you and I have companies that put out these top 10 lists that are meant to start a conversation, right? They're not meant exactly. to be a... Um, it's not meant to say, oh, well, NetSuite's number one, so we should probably go pick NetSuite. Maybe NetSuite's a good fit for you, but for a lot of people listening, NetSuite's not going to be a good fit. In fact, for a lot of people listening, NetSuite may not immediate may not even be in the top ten. Um, but yet, you know, for a general broad ranking that's sort of a generic, you know, across the board ranking, it just happens to you know uh, be be number one. And it on your list, it's high on our list too because it's it's used by so many organizations, especially in the small and mid market. Yeah. Uh, it's a mature cloud solution. So there's a lot of strengths, but there's also, you know, some things that might make it not a good fit for your organization yeah. too. So I think that's the key here is it all depends on what your needs are and what your, your priorities are as an organization. Yeah. Well, good. Well, so we've covered a lot of, a lot of ground here and a lot of different uh, systems and trends and things to think about. And, you know, one thing you and I have talked about, Sam, is that choosing the right system or systems for our organizations can be a bit overwhelming. So what, what are some sort of starting point advice you'd give to organizations or project teams that are trying to evaluate potential systems in the market and ultimately choose the best technology or technologies for their organization? What, what are a few, you know, a handful of steps that you would recommend to get started? I mean, you need to define your business processes and, uh, you know, you need to streamline, you need to align with the enterprise software dictionary. The closer you are going to be, the fewer customizations that you are going to be needing, um, the easier your selection process is going to be. Uh, but again, I don't think, uh, you know, something like this, you can do it on your own because these things are very, very, very deep, very complicated. So even if you feel that you have defined the as is state, 
of your requirements, you are probably going to be needing uh, one of the companies that specialize in something like this. Whether you go for third stage, elevate IQ, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it's a lot of expertise uh, that, you know, unless you are doing this on a daily basis, it's very hard to keep up. So I don't know if I can have any other advice. I guess, uh, Eric, uh, you know, it's going to be really defined your process state, define your data models, define your enterprise architecture, uh, define your enterprise reconciliation models. Um, you know, anytime you are building your criteria, then you need to, it can't be based on, hey, I'm looking for easy to use system. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, it's far more than that. Um, okay, so whatever you are finding, let's say in marketing materials, those are not the things that really matter when you look at, at the, the the critical success factors that is going to have the successful implementation as well as successful adoption right yeah yeah and i think ultimately you know the better handle that an organization has on their own current situation sort of what are your current strengths and weaknesses both technologically and operationally as well as what is it you're trying to be when you grow up you know as you evolve as a company what are your goals for the next three to five years and the clear vision you have of what it is you're trying to accomplish as an organization, the easier it is to find the right system. Now, of course, hiring a company like Elevate IQ or third stage consulting, one of our two firms is, you know, we were technically competitors. I probably should have, I know, I know we alluded to that at the beginning of the conversation, technically we're competitors. So we, we do a lot of the same um, similar work. And so you can hire a company like one of ours to help, guide you through the process and help you narrow it down. So you're not wasting time on, even if it's in our top 10 list, you know, you might, there might be systems in our top 10 list that you just, you as an organization just shouldn't be wasting your time on because it's not a good fit for you. And so being able to narrow it down is, is quickly and objectively is something that's very important. And that's something that technology agnostic advisors like your company and mine uh, can certainly help with. So um, that's, that's why we started our companies, right? To, exactly. To provide this, this kind of, kind of help. Okay. Thank you, Sam. Great conversation and great audience questions too. Thank you to the audience for the great comments and questions to really add a lot of commentary and, and color to the conversation. Uh, we've got a lot more to cover. We're going to uh, debrief on this conversation here in just a moment, but we're also going to have uh, our next guest on the show after a quick break. We're going to have Judith O'Callaghan and Aaron Robeson talking with Kyler about the power of perception in digital transformation. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, an independent consulting firm that helps clients through their digital transformation journeys, including the software selection, the implementation program management, the change management, architecture, data, integration, et cetera. 
whatever phase or needs you have within your digital transformation, that's something the third stage consulting can help with. So um, glad to have you here today. And uh, so Kyler, we just had Sam on the show from Elevate IQ talking about top ERP systems in the market. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Yeah, well, I was so surprised that Sam never said it depends. Um, I was watching very closely. Um, he he said it in theory, but he never yeah. actually said the words. I did. Um, and and <laughs> I know um, that kind of is the the thesis of that conversation. Um, I think you guys need to do like a review series where you do system by system. Um, so if you want to see that, definitely pop the system that you'd love to see them talk about, and I can ask him about it. Um, as well in the comments here, but um, it was a, a, a great conversation and and um, definitely a, a look behind the scenes of those top 10 lists and really the purpose of those top 10 lists in really being a guidebook, um, not your perfect top 10 list for your business, but just an option to know from a general standpoint what those, re those reviews look like. So I think that was a, a great um overall conversation to kind of get a baseline. And, and one um, follow-up I'll pop up here um, is our software selection playbook. Um, it's very helpful to not only see our top 10 list, but also kind of how do you go through all of these complexities to know what the vendors are telling you to wade through that professional skepticism and to understand what your real requirements are as a business um, to ensure you're, you're selecting that technology. So you can scan the QR code or it's in the description if you're getting this on our, our audio platform. Um, but overall, great conversation and big thanks to Sam for sharing all of those amazing insights. Yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting to uh, meet with a like-minded person and a, and a competitor in this case, and someone who also puts out their own view of the market that you know, is, is different than ours at times. And so I think that's what makes it a, for an interesting conversation and interesting, uh, collaboration between the two of us there, uh, in that discussion. So, uh, great stuff. So we'll have to have him on the show again at some point in the future. And, uh, again, if you've got, uh, comments about specific trends you're seeing in the market or specific vendors that you're excited about, I'd love to see that in the comments uh, for this podcast as well. Um, if you haven't already dropped those in, so thank you for your feedback in advance. Um, so we're going to bring on our next guest on the show here in just a moment. We're going to bring on Judith O'Callaghan and Aaron Robeson talking about the power of perception in digital transformation. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this show is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, an independent consulting firm that helps clients through their digital transformation journeys. And I'm excited for the conversation you're going to have here in just a moment, uh, Kyler, with Judith O'Callaghan and Aaron Robeson talking about the power of perception in digital transformation. And this is a conversation you had uh, previously with them. So we're going to replay the clip here of the, of the conversation. So maybe just tee it up for us and tell us a little bit about 
sort of the the premise behind the conversation and what it is that you wanted to cover when you when you had this conversation with them. Absolutely. Um, so Judith and Aaron are really dynamic guests because one is a specialist in corporate communication and the other is a specialist in ERP implementation. Um, so we have a little bit of technical and we have a little bit of soft skills to understand the overall structure of communicating as a project manager or as an executive leader around any sort of changes in processes or technology for your organization. Uh, so it kind of gives you a full snapshot of what you can do as far as understanding the ability to create influence and communicate around technology while understanding the needs of your technical team and understanding what that, that looks like. I mean, we have some great questions from the audience too um, and highly encourage other audience questions during this conversation because there's a lot about culture and then there's a lot about implementation as well. So you get kind of a little bit of everything in this conversation. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So um, let's roll the clip of Kyler chatting with Judith and Aaron talking about the power of perception in digital transformation. We talked a lot about who were the right assets for this. So we brought on Judith, who's you know an industry thought leader around digital transformation and also has a great technical background in implementing a variety of different systems. And then we have Erin from True Potential Group, um, who is a corporate culture and communication expert. So she will keep us, keep us honest about understanding how us technical and innovative um, resources uh, respond to a digital transformation. So with that, um, Judith, I'll pass it to you to introduce yourself. Thank you, Kyler, and thank you for having me. So I'm Judith O'Callaghan. I specialize in digital transformation. That's been my passion. I've been implementing different systems for over 20 years, and I learn ancient wisdom. So I believe that there is wisdom in us and around us. Embracing the wisdom gives us the best possible outcome in what we choose to do. Absolutely. And if you don't follow Judith on LinkedIn, highly recommend that for both of our guests. But she always has a little uh, pearl of positivity, I call it, for the day um, with her great quotes and what she brings into the, the industry. So how about Erin? We'll pass it to you. Well, thank you so much. And you probably have seen my chief happiness officer, the Golden Retrievers, also joining. He has a lot that he wants to uh, share today on the perceptions of digital transformation. So that's George. So thank you so much for having me. And my specialty is communication and people and how we are able to communicate effectively to influence and impact and drive change and get better results and enjoy what we do every day. So that's that's my driver is communication so we can be more fulfilled and productive and work and at home. Excellent. So thank you. Well, so excited to get in today's conversation. It you know really spends um, from the conception to completion of what it means to have a new technology or any strategic change within your business or organization. So I'm going to start with you, Judith, to really talk about why is perception in, of a digital transformation within a business so important in strategic decision making? So this is a very interesting question, right, Kyla? And in 2024, a lot of organizations will be embarking on digital transformation. That's that's what our experts are predicting. predicting. So one thing our industry or the world has been very lucky so far, it's been peaceful for the last 20 19 mm -hmm. years. The change that the number of changes that we have undertaken as a community or especially as a digital com community, though it's huge, it has been very measured, controlled and managed. And we are coming to a point in time in the history where there is a lot of change happening around us, in us, and, the, and including the way we think and work. For example, COVID has 
has been a very good disruptor in different ways and it has mm -hmm. changed the way we actually viewed technology and the way we viewed work and a lot of things as well. So with 2024 and beyond, there is a lot of ERPs that may come to an end of life mm -hmm. or systems that we are using for over 20 years that may require change. And also the businesses are evolving. So they might embark on a completely different journey that is right for the business. So change for us is inevitable. And mm -hmm. it's all about how we embrace the change and capture it. And also the flip side of change, as Erin and Kyler yourself would under, would know really well, is that it's a very nervous thing for any organization or individuals to embark. Even as individuals, any change, not every change is viewed in a, in a very positive way. Mm -hmm. We might all have our nervousness about some type of change, though it's positive for us. So you know, propelling that to an organization. So if we want to set the organization up for success, it is about the perception and setting the yeah. understanding of what we are embarking right. So that that's why I think this is such an important topic at this point in time. Yeah. Absolutely. And you hit on a, a few things that I really want to dig into there. Um, and we'll kind of come back to the future state um, of what that looks like for ERPs or a lot of systems that are going through end of life, even AI. Um, but I want to turn to Aaron and really dig into, we kind of set the scene here. We have a big change in the organization, whether it be a new ERP, a best of breed selection, um, uh, AI within the organization, new automation in the processes. And we see a very well-intentioned executive team that has made this amazing decision for their organization. However, the digital transformation often goes off the map because it wasn't communicated well. So now we have this perception in an organization, whether it's true or not. How do leaders really influence perception within their organization? Leaders influence perception so greatly. And so it depends on where the leader is within the organization as well. So one thing with digital transformation with leadership is all the leaders that are impacted have to be involved and they have to have the ability to have this self-awareness to understand how they as a leader are impacting perception. So that's the first thing. If they don't have the self-awareness of how they're doing it, then a, an organization is not gonna probably have a successful adoption. So with that, they've gotta have the right mindset. They've gotta be able to communicate effectively on a regular basis in a manner that is not disrupting the role of the individuals that don't really need to be that heavily involved until they need to be that heavily involved. So I think at the end of the day, it's that self-awareness, the mindset, and are they effectively communicating the why behind it and the greater impact and being in convenience to go through this transformation, it's for the greater benefit for the individual and for the organization. Absolutely. That why is really that motivator, right? That key understanding. And that's why that employee is going to work harder. So when we kind of wrap up the perception conversation, go into more of the psychology of change. I'm curious, Judith, when we have a perception within an organization that a digital transformation may fail or may um, not be able to be uh, absorbed and maximized effectively, how, as the project team, can you ensure that you're actually set up for success? Maybe we go from leadership to project team. Absolutely. And that's a very good question, right? So the, if we look at the landscape as well, especially in the recent past, a lot of transformation projects have been run as technology projects. Mm 
-hmm. as a result uh the adoption to everything else communication and everything else had been a problem which impacted the stakeholders which then impacted uh you know the clients and other people which has caused a lot of problems mm -hmm. so as a result of this the organizations have had a bumpy road and now the problem is those who are embarking on this transformation journey or a technology change view it as a hard thing to do because the people who have gone ahead of us have reported all these things so on the other hand we have this beautiful experiences given to us by different uh parties and everything else so when we set up a program we set it up for success so the first thing is to understand what we are doing mm -hmm. and the why behind the what as erin said and this is something some that is forgotten and not very well understood many times and i was talking to a colleague uh sometime yesterday and we mm -hmm. talked about this understanding the why and that unravels so many things. It also talks about the purpose of why we are doing it and who we are doing it for. And ultimately, you know, the big picture, it, it gives us the big picture of, and that carries the message forward. So it's best mm -hmm. to take time to understand the why and it'll inform the what and then the who we need to communicate, who we need to involve. And then we can put together a structured approach to that project or the program of work and this fundamental yeah. work is so important and the i call it the conscious pause and whatever stages or whatever methodology we adopt it all recommends that but highly ignored at many points we want to start running with the program but it's best to have that conscious pause and understand the why behind the what which informs uh the it sets up for success Absolutely. And that fundamental planning stage is where you're able to set KPIs, right? Whether you're able to see like, what do we actually want? We've got the why, we've got the what, what do we want to gain out of this, this project? We're here with Kyler chatting with Aaron and Judith talking about the power of perception in digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management, or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you, or in the links below for this particular podcast episode, you can find a link to uh, take you to the page that'll allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the guide to organizational change management uh, written by yours truly. Hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. This show is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, an independent consulting firm that helps clients reach the third stage of digital transformation success. And Kyler is here with Judith and Aaron chatting about the power of perception in digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. 
I have to pop this one up from Dan real quick that talks about how Judith, like that's why I love your podcast, Judith, because the, your voice, which Aaron, Aaron is a voice like expert. So you drop my blood pressure every time. So thank you for bringing oh. that piece. Um, Dan, that, thank you so much. I that's know. powerful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for blessing us with that. So I'm going to um, go to this question from Dan. This is for Aaron. Um, why is it so important in setting an organizational change management plan and communication strategy for any project, really any change in an organization? So the why is so incredibly important. Being a sales leader for over 20 years in pharma and biotech, I've been involved in so many digital transformations. And at my level, I was brought in early, but the big why is how is it impacting the individual at the end? How is it, why are we doing this? Is what is the reason behind it? And we can do the bigger picture why, and we see that from the top down, but sometimes at the very top, they forget to understand and the why is going to be different for each role and the way they're utilizing the technology. So mm -hmm. the big picture why needs to be broken down so the individual that is using it has the driver and the motivation to change their behavior and go full on in the adoption of it. And I've seen it go very, very wrong. And I've been part of that where I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't yeah. understand it. It's not benefiting me. It's taking time away from my customers, which is ultimately reducing my results. So uh -uh. until they force me mm -hmm. to adopt it, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And, and so that's the, the why is so important because it's the, the, the behavior change will not happen mm -hmm. unless they have a why. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's one part that we see a huge failure point. I promise since I got roasted on the internet this week about talking about failures, I will not talk about that many <laughs> this week, but we will we will learn um, from those. Yeah. Um, so when we look at where a project can be optimized, right, we, we see it in that, we call it the third stage, right, the user adoptions phase. So Judith, how do you ensure in this perception that you're taking into account that end user and building out a user adoption strategy that's actually going to maximize the value of your technology? Because you could have this, the shiniest, most intuitive tech, but if your users aren't actually engaging with it, then it's just creating that technical debt and additional cost centers for the business. Exactly right. So a beautiful point that you're bringing to the surface, Kyler, and not necessarily understood or talked about. And one of the experts I was talking to yesterday made a very good point. And we were understanding a few case studies to see what we can do better and set things up for success. Mm -hmm. Because most times when we see it, see something that's not going well, it's on the third stage. That's when we realize. And it's too... Yeah. Difficult to change it because we've made the investment, we have made whatever we need to do to be able to do that. So, but on the other hand, we now have the data and the lessons from this, so we can set it up for success. So, for example, I'll give you a case study, right? So, a, a company was uh, that uh, that we were closely involved was implementing uh, a warehousing solution and also a planning solution. So, mm -hmm. uh, it was the change was understood or understood at that point in time mm -hmm. and then everybody had a very good communication training plan and people were all brought in to from different places to be able to train and use and everything it was a 
fantastic success. Two weeks after the system was actually live, there were challenges from the clients to the warehousing people to supply chains getting locked and everything else. So the real problem in this case, when we did the deep analysis was uh, back then or before this change happened, planners were actually planners. They were sitting in a warehouse or whatever it is, mm -hmm. and they were planning on what's coming in, what's going out. So in this case, after this adoption of the technology or after we put the technology in, every warehouse, plan, warehouse person is keying in data and the endpoints are informing the planning. So the role of the planner as such has changed and the number of data points that is coming into the planner to be able to make a decision have, have changed. So it's instead of uh, working with 5,000 data points, I'm just giving an example, this individual planner is expected to work with 50,000 or 5 million, uh, 500 data points. So we are all human end of the day. And this, it, this is a part of change that was not understood and it had multiple implications yes now it's been identified it's fixed and everybody get is right. getting what they wanted out of it that's fantastic but but this is an important why and especially when we look at change think about how the role is changing and evolving in the future so it's like yes it is a beautiful technology and it's coming to us so what what does this actually mean for this person or for this role or for the organization as such. And it also brings the avenues of who we can serve better. For example, with that data points, it, it gave us a whole bunch of in, uh, insights on where the stocks are held and where mm -hmm. too much inventory are. And also in terms of scheduling and planning, it, it, it made a huge difference to people. But these are all hidden use cases that, that came up to life when we, right. uh, when we did that investment. Yeah, so this is for me, it's a very personal journey that gave so much insights. Yes. Wow, that is. And thank you for sharing that. That's a really mm -hmm. interesting case study and showcases the importance of really kind of assessing your kind of end user and, and what that's going to be as far as their experience in that, that fundamental planning stage that you mentioned er earlier. So Aaron, kind of pivoting on that and building on it, when we have a, you know, a, a heavy front-end workforce, maybe we have a call center, maybe we have you know, somewhere we have a lot of employees, how do we understand what motivates those end users so that we as project leaders can ensure that we understand how we're going to have them adopt and understand this why behind the project? I love this question. I love this question because it goes back to your job description, the competencies and behaviors when you're hiring individuals. So it goes back to you have the foundation of that to even understand the types of individuals that you're hiring and the skill sets and the behaviors that they already have. Then what I truly believe is we all have innate tendencies. We have them. We have capacity and we have preference. So if you can actually take data points from people, say in a call center, say there's a call center with 300 people and they have the ability to take an assessment when they go onboarding, there are now platforms that you can use mm -hmm. to take those data points and formulate them into practical tips. So for example, how does this individual typically react to change? So now you start to better understand that we may need to start earlier. We may need to have one-on-ones. We may have some skeptics and that's great. I want to involve the skeptics mm -hmm. and have them give me devil's advocate in the decision-making process. So I really think it begins at the foundation. And if organizations don't have that, there's ways to do it. And I mm -hmm. truly believe it's with personality assessments, taking a step back from the leadership perspective and understanding everyone reacts to change differently. And you need to adapt and be able to put a strategy in place 
where those individuals have enough time to process and understand and then adopt. Absolutely. Very well said. I think the the thing that I always find so ironic is when people think that change management or company culture is not measurable. What most it is a data driven approach. I can't tell you the amount of times we've gone in and done an organizational assessment to assess the readiness of the culture. And a lot of times you get you know feedback from executives. Oh, our culture's ready. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And then once we do the assessment, we have all of these red areas of potential resistance and they are shocked that those exist and that they didn't have the awareness around that. So it's so important to have that structured data approach, whether you're doing an OCM assessment or you have that upfront data um, around what that looks like as far as company culture and motivators that makes the job easy, hopefully. Right. Can I just add one thing to that? Cause oh, I laughed sure. so hard because I'm not a technical expert. It's communication in people. That's my skill set. So there's been so many times. So if you were to ask me to do what you do and have the, um, the, the experiences that you have had, I just don't. So, but what I have found in regards to that change is the individuals that are making the decisions that are more driven by process, than they are people. So if they don't understand that they will not be able to get the results that they want without the people and the people trusting their decisions, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. It does exactly. not matter. And it's like, let's everyone stop and remember, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You could have the best system in the world. If you don't, if your people don't trust you and you're not leading in an effective way, forget it. Don't waste the money. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Judith, do you want to respond too? Oh, yeah, yes, absolutely. So this is uh, something very fundamental and we tend to ignore it or put it in the put it in the put it away or something. Mm -hmm. So but this is fundamental. We are humans and we follow humans. So there is a lot of data on positive intelligence or any form of Mm -hmm. uh, things that we follow on to say that teams that are positive or 30 percent 30 to 50 percent more productive because we work from a different part of a brain when we are productive and the calm part of the brain produces results and we are able to communicate with each other with micro neurons or sorry what's that called uh we the, wouldn't know what the it neurons and all that whatever it's called so yeah the thing is we are able to communicate with each other better so understanding yeah. the why and explaining the why as you said it's so important so much important and also I, I just noted a point which is change fatigue so when the organization is going through multiple changes at one time when people have been through this and they and you're introducing one more change to it there is also a fatigue that is attached to it oh here we go one more mm-hmm. one more in my backpack so it's like how do we mitigate that and that's the rubik's cube that we that we are trying to solve, right? So yeah, and that's such an an, impl- an interesting concept of change fatigue because that can be the hardest perception to overcome within a workforce is when you have too much change or change that was poorly communicated. Even if it was years ago, people don't forget, right? They don't forget yeah. that that's what happened the last time you try that. So um, I'm going to bring up a question from the audience to kind of touch on this because I think it's an interesting shift in perception for what our our software vendors or any type of vendor kind of wants you to think about an implementation. We're here with Kyler chatting with Aaron and Judith talking about the power of perception in digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Just 
Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book. And it, it was my attempt to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful in defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyle Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. This show is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, an independent consulting firm that helps clients reach the third stage of digital transformation success. And Kyler is here with Judith and Aaron chatting about the power of perception in digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. He wants to know, do you always say that an ERP implementation must be done in the context of a digital transformation? Or sometimes do you recommend a brownfield upgrade or lift and shift without a full transformation? So um, I know I want to get your guys' feedback on that. But my thoughts on this is a digital transformation is an industry buzzword, right? A digital transformation means whatever you need it to mean for your organization. It's a strategy. Um, and that that piece of it, a lot of times you'll see with systems or new policies, it's just an upgrade. It's just a little change. No worries. No need. You know, no need to like you know worry about it. And so I think when we we do an upgrade or a lift and shift, that's a really easy way of saying we don't need things like change management. We don't need things like assessing our communication plan. Um, that's just my thoughts on that. But I'll turn I'll turn to you guys. Do you want to address Judith since you are? the most yeah, technical yeah. probably okay <laughs> thank you kylers and dan that's a beautiful question right so and especially with brownfield so erin brownfield is when people try and migrate the same mm -hmm. thing from one technology to another technology because it's faster or easier or it gives different ben business benefits so brownfield is one of the highly misunderstood from a change perspective people it, most organizations that i've worked with believe that it's easy yes it is of course easy because you're going from uh you know not the, from a change perspective it's one of the simplest thing to impact that is not a lot of um change to it but on the other hand there is also an element of change to it because i'll give you an example that i was discussing with uh, with another colleague which is we did a brownfield for one of the companies and the performance is much much better Mm -hmm. Everyone was celebrating great. What it also meant was the data, data or the problems were coming much faster than it would mm -hmm. than it was earlier, and people were experiencing a lot of P ones and all the all the challenge that came with it as well. This is because the systems are processing faster, and a lot of problems get identified faster. So mm -hmm. what it means is we need a bigger technology team to be able to handle those problems. 
and address and get to those people who are having those problems. So this is a part of change which may not have been understood properly till we had that data or had that industry experience. So this is the subtleties of any transformation, right? So it could be the simplest thing or the sim or you're just switching two systems and you know it's going to be faster and easier and better fine but there is also an element of change that goes with it mm -hmm. it's a good change and we embrace it and we do it in a very positive way and it's all about being prepared so when we're going on a hike uh i love hiking by the way so it's all about understanding what is your track and so you know what to pack and you have enough snacks for the way or whatever it is so it's yeah. just about taking that pause and understanding what you need in our backpack a hundred percent. And and so what do you think, Erin, about kind of those micro changes where you may have an outside vendor, you may have a business leader that's trying to say, you know, this is not an impactful change. We don't actually really need to go into communication strategic planning. What's your reaction to that? I, I, I want to know who's making the decision on, on the change. And are they the individuals that are the right people in the seat to make the decision that there needs to be a change? And are they and are they bringing the people in that are actually using the platform? Mm -hmm. And is the change needed? So for me, it starts. There should be a high level of communication on a regular basis, so mm -hmm. all parties that can make the the decision on change are part of it. That's the, the first thing. And the second thing is any type of change people are going to react differently. So mm -hmm. to me, even if it's just a few, from my experience, a lot of CRMs in my lifetime and mm -hmm. no big deal. We're just going to change uh, the way that you input your clients. We're just mm -hmm. going to change the information that you need to input so we can collect the data points. That's a really big deal to mm -hmm. an individual that goes out in the field to sell. They come back and they have, it's just me muscle memory. So for them, it's a major change. But from someone higher up that's not doing that day to day, it might just be a lift and switch and really easy. So any change is change and it needs to be effectively communicated. And I'm going to keep going back. If you don't have a company culture of trust, it doesn't matter if it's one field that's changing or it's a whole entire system that's changing. Mm -hmm. It's not probably not going to go all that well. So why don't you take a step back, address the people issues and the culture issues before you invest in doing a major overhaul. So I know that was long-winded, but um, I hope that helps. Oh yeah, that's that's well said. Yeah, and I think it brings us kind of into this other segment that I, I definitely wanna ask you about when we talk about kind of trending technologies or even trending business um, right now as, as we're in early 2024 when we're re recording this. So AI, right? AI is on the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, and I recently did a keynote at a women in tech conference on the Terminator effect, um, the perception of AI. So we've we've kind of gotten this, whether it's pop culture, whether it's all kinds of different things, this perception of this faceless boogeyman and this fear around artificial intelligence. So that's something that companies now need to overcome. And that's that's fundamentally the most vulnerable part of being, you know, an adult human, which is your livelihood, right? Your job, providing for your families or anything else that you need to do. So, um, Aaron, I'm going to go to you on this one first. What is the importance of kind of reframing that new technologies could have positive opportunities that you kind of have to get over the hurdle of what people think when you hear words like automation and that fear and anxiety. 
Absolutely. When you say AI, a lot of people don't even know what it is. They don't have any experience with it. So first, it's not making the assumption. And it's bringing it back down to the basics of why the change is and correlating it to change that has been successful in the past that may have inconvenienced the individuals. But look at the success that we had. And now this is something that is different yet similar and that you may be inconvenienced. It may be some discomfort as you're managing the way that you react to change, the day-to-day -day things that you need to do. But this is why we believe in it. And this is how we think it may in, in, impact you and your role in the company as a whole. I think what happens and why people become so fearful is because they don't understand. Mm -hmm. So they need to have that clarity. And I'm, I'm sorry, all you technical experts out there, mm -hmm. sometimes you got to just reduce it and be a little bit more basic in the way that you're explaining it. We don't need all the details. We don't need all the details. And it's overwhelming to individuals that don't do what you do every day. And you've got to understand, just bring it down to the basics, give the need and tie it back to a successful change that was implemented before. And that's my, my opinion on that one. Oh, absolutely. And and speaking of technical experts, Judith, when we when we talk about this perception in an IT terminology, it kind of is amplified the fear and anxiety around that because, you know, a lot of jobs in in a modern IT department will change. Yep. And that's a beautiful point, right? So just like with any technology, when automation started, there was a lot of nervousness. So I was, mm -hmm. I was studying, um, I was studying the impacts of these booms of technology impact that affected us over the over the past and how we reacted as humans. Yes, when automation started, there was a lot of nervousness. So at, at that point in time, I was working in a very uh, data-based or a payroll-based company, mm -hmm. and there was uh, this lot of fear on do we actually have our jobs and all that stuff but on the other hand the flip side of it it was really positive people were able to take advantage of the automation they were able to serve more clients the errors got picked up a lot quicker and all that good stuff that came up with it so in in my opinion and this is purely mine and we have to see how ai evolves yes mm -hmm. there is challenge challenges to it uh, to see how ai evolves because it's it's at a very very initial stage and it's a baby and we need mm -hmm. to guide it on how we need to grow that baby and we can make it work the way we want it to work and the flip side of uh, ai the way i see it is it gives us a lot of analysis or the capability to do a lot of analysis and insights that we previously didn't have before and uh, what does this mean for us and what mm -hmm. does this mean for our world so those are the things that need to be explored and we as humans have an opportunity to guide that technology mm -hmm. to give us the outcome that we need so what you plant or what very water grows, right? So, yeah. so we keep watering the right thing and we get the right, get the outcome that we need that makes our world kinder and better. So yeah. take away the perception of it's difficult and all that, you know, other oh, things absolutely. that go with it. Yeah. That is very, very thoughtfully said. Absolutely. I think that's the piece that we really will have to kind of move together as a society and hopefully we can do as beautifully and as positively as you as you just said. And so, Erin, I'm curious, as a leader or a leadership coach, and you may have a department that's implementing some sort of AI, autonomous system, automation, so roles are going to change. What do you as a leader owe your team in communicating, hey, Aaron, your job role is going to change. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, people are resistant to change based on fear. 
I mean, that's just, it's, we're afraid because we don't have all the information. So with AI, I think it is scary. So I think there needs to be vulnerability from leadership. And it needs to be that we're, like you said, we're doing this together. And there are some gaps that um, we don't know yet. And here's what, right now, here are the expectations of the changes in your role. And here may be in the future, but you can't go too deep because people get fearful. And mm -hmm. people may think with AI, is my job going to be eliminated? Am I not going to be needed anymore? Now they're distracted. They're mm -hmm. not being productive and potentially they're becoming totally disengaged. And it's because it's just a lack of communication with the leader to that individual or to their team. So it's a high level of communication. It's one-on-ones as well. And give the individual time to talk. Don't just put on a slide deck and present. Have a dialogue, you know, like, what are you afraid of? Like, what are your, and you don't have to say, what, what are your thoughts on this? Help me understand. What are you thinking? Don't tell them, let them tell you and you comfort them and lead them. And I think that's how you have to do it. So all, at the end of the day, all this is communication, trust, and human connection. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Amen. Absolutely. That's, that's so true. I will say, and this is a total stereotype, but in the IT world, we are not always great communicators, especially, you know, leaders that have been in the industry for many years. So I, I'm curious, Judith, because you are such a unicorn in being, you know, incredibly mindful and also incredibly technical. What would be your advice to IT leaders to create that empathy when having that conversation that Aaron just referenced? Oh, that's a beautiful question, Kyler. Then thank you. So yesterday or a few days back, I was pondering on this question, right? So most of us come to IT or we are geeks kind of thing. And we like our own space and we like to do things our own way and evolve ourselves as humans. And we are very, very productive. And that's what we are. We are very good at what we do. And that's why we end up in our roles. And sometimes we become uh, leaders and we manage people and stuff. The skills that we need every day is evolving. And our IT is one of those things where mm -hmm. our jobs have changed drastically over, mm -hmm. pe over periods of times. When I look at it in some cases, I work, I have worked with people from 65 countries, very different time zones. And mm -hmm. sometimes I didn't, don't even know their name. I go by their initials and all that stuff. But we the most important thing is the teams that have been productive the teams that i still remember and work with are the ones that where the human connection is valued and i've been blessed with leaders who have taught me that at the mm -hmm. uh, at my early career and i got the best out of them and now that we are growing as leaders and as we are growing as an industry so it's about how we share and how we give and how we support each other because every individual needs is different and this all makes us a better society and how we communicate and standard hierarchy or the roles doesn't exist anymore especially mm -hmm. in the it we all work with what's what we are good at and we all play different roles in different programs of work that we are involved and we try and add value so it's all about opening up and being open to that mirror neurons and being open to that communication. So my suggestion to any IT leader for that matter is know yourself mm -hmm. because no one's perfect and know your team and know the organization. Mm -hmm. And that's when the merge of the miraculous heart and the head merge that happens and you can, you can be productive in the way you want to be productive. So 
that is that is my take on it and that's my take for every organization as well take the conscious pause and know yourself before embarking on any journey mm-hmm. and choose the outcome that is right for you yeah. absolutely the conscious yeah. pause i absolutely love that that's amazing um we're here with kyler chatting with aaron and judith talking about the power of perception in digital transformation we've got a lot more to cover but first we're going to take a quick break we'll be back with more transformation ground control My name is Eric Kimberling, and I'm the CEO and founder of Third Stage Consulting. Before we dive too far into today's content, I want to invite you to learn a little bit more about Third Stage Consulting, who we are and what we do. I've included a link to a video right here that describes Third Stage in a bit more detail. It talks about our story, our history, our philosophy, our clients, our service offerings, and that sort of thing. But in general, what Third Stage Consulting does is we're an independent and tech agnostic consulting provider. We help clients through their entire digital transformation life cycles beginning with digital strategy, software evaluation and selection, all the way through and including implementation planning, implementation readiness, and the actual implementation itself. We're technology agnostic, so we only represent our clients' best interests. We do not represent software vendors. But having said that, we work very closely with software vendors, all the leading players that you can imagine we've worked with, both in helping clients evaluate and select them, but also in helping clients implement those solutions as well. So we have a very broad, objective, agnostic view of the market that is meant to really represent your interest as you go through your digital transformation. I also encourage you to scan this QR code right here to get access to our resource center. This resource center has a ton of information, a ton of eBooks that are free. You have access to top 10 software rankings, playbooks for how to make your project more successful, guides to change management, YouTube videos, all kinds of stuff that are gonna help you through your digital transformation. So I encourage you to scan this QR code to get access to those resources. And please feel free to reach out to me directly to brainstorm ideas about your project. Even if it's just informally, you want to bounce around some ideas and get some informal advice, I'd be happy to spend some time with you. So feel free to reach out to me. I've included my contact information below. You can also find it in the description field of this video as well. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 157. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. This show is sponsored by Third Stage Consulting, an independent consulting firm that helps clients reach the third stage of digital transformation success. And Kyler is here with Judith and Aaron chatting about the power of perception in digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. And quickly to turn to the audience, if you could drop in the comments, what is the number one characteristic that a leader needs to have in a digital transformation. So just pop it in the comments and we'll kind of take a little poll here. Is it empathy? Is it accountability? I would love to hear from our audience what what you really think it is. Maybe we can share some of those. Um, But moving on to what can we do to create and shape this digital narrative going into 2024? Great time for intention setting, right? To actually influence effective digital transformation projects. And I think, in my opinion, that starts with corporate culture. And I want to turn to you, Aaron, and say, how do you assess the culture? And on that question, is it possible to change a culture that's experiencing some toxicity? I love this question. It's complicated. I, I'm I'm an optimist. I My personality type is an ENFP. So I think, yes, you can change 
anything if you have the right people in the right seats. So it really, at the end of the day, company culture comes from each individual. So if you have a company culture where you're hired, like this is our culture, it's like, is it? I, I haven't even bought into that. I haven't even contributed. So I think it's really understanding is the company culture and the way that it is being shared, is it is it bought in by all, all parties and how are you holding people accountable to it? And letting people know that culture, they can make a change every single day on an individual level. So mm -hmm. it's it's complicated in the sense if you have an organization that believes that their company culture is great. You mentioned this earlier, Kyler, or excuse me, I'm Judith, that disconnect when it's like, yeah, they're ready for the adoption. They're ready for the adoption. I can tell you right now that that company culture probably is a little bit frayed because the, the top to the bottom views it very differently. So what I found to be really successful at a large enterprise is they had monthly culture roundtables and they did cross-functional roles. They were very small. And this is when this is pre-COVID. Now they're doing it virtually where people got together and they talked about it from different, they, so they weren't siloed. And it was accountability where there was a call to action. So rather than complaining about a company culture, they don't listen to us, they don't trust us, they don't empower us, all of these types of things. You can change that, don't do it top down, create a culture where people are able to change it to what they want it to be. So I'm so passionate about this because mm -hmm. it just, you can't just stuff culture down someone's throat. Yeah, You, you just can't. <laughs> Well, and, and people try to, too. And yes. I think they do it like well-intentioned as well. And you kind of have to like, that's why we have people like you, Aaron, to say like, hit the brakes, man. Like we, yeah. we can do this, but not that way. Not that yeah. way. Well, you have to be brave. You have to hire people that are courageous to speak up, mm -hmm. to be able to say to three and four layers above them, this mm -hmm. is not working. It's impacting the results. I'm bringing this to you because we have put out to our, our shareholder, whatever it might be, we've got to meet this goal and we're on the ground and we're not going to be able to meet it. And I wanted to share that with you because you have the power to change. So the intention is because I am passionate, engaged, and I want it to be better. Don't take this as a criticism that I'm complaining. I'm coming with a solution. But if you don't have a company culture where the people that are really impacting the results can speak up, then you're going to have that disconnect. Absolutely. That's a hundred percent. And, and Judith turning to you, I feel like you yourself are a great case mm -hmm. case study for this because you have such an IT technical following, but a lot of the content you post really does focus on culture. The, the, the idea of just being a good member of society, a good member of the network and a good member of the community. So how do you feel like these these human skills are really important to develop in a technical space? So this is a, an interesting thing, right? So over the last year, one thing I've realized is I, I come from a trading family, a trading background. Mm -hmm. So the generations of my ancestors and those I know mm -hmm. have traded across different cultures and everything, and they've run enterprises. So what I was talking to a friend of mine who has inherited her family business, which has run successfully for over 150 years and they are legends. Wow. So I go, what is that that makes it different? And mm -hmm. how have they evolved and how have they changed? And they're still impacting positively in the world. So it's it comes to the very fundamental thing, right? As Erin said, it's trust. And how do you build that trust? And how do you keep that company culture active? And how do you... It, 
it's it's not just about shareholders or it's a, it's not just about that it's about the how do we create a better society and for me digital transformation is just a vehicle and mm -hmm. what we do is much more powerful than than all of us put together so we have a higher purpose and higher need that we all we are all fulfilling in this world so for me it comes down to very basics which i try to understand implement so it's like knowing yourself and giving the courage for yourself and others to be themselves and understand what is important for those they serve so if everyone's equipped to serve those they serve better we are ending we end up creating a better world so it could be a technology it could be understanding of change it could be understanding of their roles, as, mm -hmm. as you rightly said, Erin. It could be any information. So equip people in the way they need to be equipped so they can serve others better. And it comes to technology or it comes to anything we do. Maybe I'm making, the, making, a, making it very, very simple. So, so that has been my take on it so far. So happy, productive teams. And how do we create that? And that's the puzzle that we are all evolving in our lives at different points in time. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. And I, I think I'm going to show this comment here from Pat Patricia, excuse me, on, on LinkedIn. And it says an open mind helps with every step of digital transformation, regardless of your role. Couldn't agree more. So I'm wondering what happens when you have an executive, right? You purchased a hundred million dollar SAP system or anything like that. Now go implement it. How important is it to have that open door policy in order to give feedback on how the implementation is going? And I mean, for you, Erin, um, we can even say how important is that open mind or that open, transparent communication when you need to bring a problem to leadership, when you need to bring a change to leadership? How critical is that in company culture? It's absolutely critical, not just for digital transformation, but Judith, I love the fact that you keep bringing it back to people being fulfilled and, and doing the greater, doing things for the greater good. So it's okay to have fun at work, everyone. It's okay to have fun. So digital transformations can actually not be so scary. So going back to your question, Kyler, I think it's critical and you've got to be able to create ways for people to give feedback. So let's give an example. You've got a company that they are re their company culture is broken and there isn't a lot of trust. So can you expect people to just raise their hands after you come on and say, we really need your feedback? No, but you can do ways. I worked for an organization and we did an anonymous, like just, you just, we want it to be productive and we want you to feel that you are able to share this feedback and any solutions that you might have. So I think it's one continue to go back. Judith, both and I say this is know yourself, know the team and know what the culture is and create means for feedback based on where you are as a culture. If there's not trust, there's probably still ways to get it, but it's not going to be um, as easy. So you've got to set up a platform or some way where people feel safe to give feedback. But at the end of the day, are you hiring the right people? And are you using this digital transformation and the way people are responding to it to see if you have the right people in the right seats? So, it's really important. And that can go back to, and I said it before, do you have a job description that aligns with competencies and behaviors? Are you training the leaders to be able to interview in an appropriate manner to get the people on the bus that align with your values and you can execute so much better? It starts from, from the hiring process. So. 
A hundred percent. Absolutely. And Judith, from a, a technical standpoint too, how important is it for you as a project team to be able to go to leadership and say, this implementation is in the red? Like we we are in trouble and we need support. This is kind of very, uh, you know, a common problem that, sadly a common problem that most program teams or project teams face, right? So mm-hmm. It could be implementing a technology. Somebody thinks it's a great technology to buy and they buy it and do it. And also there could be things that somebody bought a technology that is not needed or there is other things in the organization Mm -hmm. which is fulfilling that role. So how do you communicate that message? And sometimes people talk to us when they talk to us, they've tried most other means of addressing it. And so sometimes when they come to us, it's just a matter of sit down and have a direct conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. Is your organization really ready? And if you're putting people through this thing just to show some value or whatever it is, it is not going to give you the results you need. That's great. So mm-hmm. it's, bad news doesn't get better with time. So it's better to tell people first when there are mm-hmm. red flags. So that's always been my approach and uh, most people's approach. So you lay that on the table and then if they still want to go ahead, help them manage it in a way which gives better outcome for everyone Mm -hmm. so sometimes there is a you know you're better off terminating it now and come back and revisit it that's a conversation as well and sometimes you can say hey you bought it for this but it can also do x y and z Mm -hmm. there are cases where we have unearthed that benefit because there was a product that was bought and there was for a different purpose and the, the purpose was being achieved but but that product was also able to attract a different a different had a different completely different meaning to what it was mm-hmm. originally intended so it was like it, yeah you can explore that and the other one is could be yes it's a great product great pause it for a for a year or something yeah so when your organization is ready come back and revisit it so it's like it's like putting my best dress away for the right occasion so mm-hmm. it's kind of that approach yeah. yeah i love that approach that conscious pause right your conscious pause of like exactly. what as a business leader that's making strategic decisions is this the right time because we all know that technology is not a silver bullet it is not going to fix a broken culture and it is not going to fix broken processes that is something that we need to be able to do as leaders so we have a great question here, Erin, and I, I want to focus on it on on you with it. Um, so when it comes to that change in company culture that you were kind of talking about, and that one who who brings a lot of criticisms to maybe a leadership project team, all those types of things, how do you motivate an employee in that scenario that might be kind of getting dumped on, right? About all these criticisms, hard feedback and that type of thing. How do you motivate that employee to keep working hard and being productive for the company? Yeah, absolutely. So I think with criticism, there's there's two sides to it. I celebrate when you have created a culture where people feel open enough to criticize and hopefully the expectation has been set that the criticism comes with a solution. So, but if you're the individual that continues to get the criticism because you're driving the change, it's having that that awareness and being able to have the open communication and listen and not get defensive mm-hmm. and understand it's not about you. It's a technology. It's a technology mm-hmm. that you are tasked to implement. If you didn't even create the technology. So I think first and foremost, the self-awareness, are you taking it personally? And can you help and detach yourself from that and recognize how you are emotionally reacting or responding to the criticism? 
And is the criticism actually helpful? Or do you have people that are criticizing because that's just who they are and they're complaining? That's a different discussion. Mm -hmm. That's a coaching opportunity. Now, if people are criticizing and it comes with a solution to make it better and you're taking it personally, that's something on the leader or the individual and how they're reacting to criticism. And that's a self-awareness journey into how am I reacting? Why am I reacting this way? And what can I do about it to make sure that I am focused on the information that can helpfully, hopefully create change instead of just a criticism? I, I was so sensitive to criticism before. And one of the things that worked for me is when I would uh, accept criticism from others. This is my name tag. It's not mm -hmm. me. Yeah. So it's well, a role that I'm doing. And it was just a really visual way for me. We've probably all at some point in our mm -hmm. life worn a name tag. So just remember, it's not about you. It's about your name tag and your role. And just it's business. Let's move forward. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And I, I know, Judith, you kind of have that authentic self approach too, because until, you know, as a young leader myself, until I really started doing that soul searching and that work on my own self to understand how am I reacting to this and how am I creating an air, an air of being transparent and approachable. So, um, so that's, you know, one thing that is incredibly powerful. So Ladies, Can I just you. add one more thing oh, that sure. I think is really important for the individual that asks the question? It's okay too to do a recalibration. So if it is within a department or an individual or individuals that are giving the criticism, it, it just even scheduling time with them and say, "I want to do, I want to recalibrate, and let's let's have a really healthy discussion and be vulnerable to say, I may not have been actively listening, and I may have been taking this personally, and that's okay. But let's let's have some dialogue." Just put it on the table. I and I that. think people would really, really respond. Just recalibrate. So thanks, Kyler. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think I think that also shows the vulnerability there, and which we all know is the glue to trust, to creating that trust of, you know, saying I'm I might not have responded in the best way and showcasing that you're not perfect either. And that relationship is important enough to you to do that recalibration. So excellent advice. Um as we close out, I want to give both of you an opportunity to kind of put a capstone on this conversation and tell us what is your superpower when it comes to the power of perception? Ooh, okay. I know. We'll go We'll go to you too, first, Judith. <laughs> All right. So this is a very interesting question, right? So you led me to the right point, which is after a lot of soul, soul searching and understanding myself, especially as a young leader. So I believe authenticity and embracing vulnerability has been my guiding light at this point at this point in time it has helped me understand myself serve others better and it's also helping my clients in the journey as well so i believe in that yeah. lovely thank you for that what about you erin that's a great answer, Judith. I love that. And you really do. You bring my blood pressure down. Oh, well. I know. <laughs> so thank you. They're going to call you every day in the morning. We're doing I know. I'm going to fire my chief happiness off as the golden retriever and just call you when I when I need that uh, the dopamine rush and the, uh, the blood pressure down. So what my superpower is, I believe, is the awareness of nonverbal and how it impacts the way people communicate and really listening on two tracks. People might be saying something, but you can watch them. Even if you are in front of a thousand people, if you're watching the nonverbals, their facial expressions, the way they're using their bodies, are they leaning forward? Are they leaning back? It can really help you understand when people aren't verbally speaking up. It can help you understand where people are. And it's, uh, Judith, I'm going to use that, that conscious pause to check in. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in front of a thousand people and I see I'm saying something and it, there's a 
you know what? I'm going to pause here because I just saw, you know, you just have and you have to be vulnerable and open. So I think that's my superpower is understanding we all talk on more than one track. For sure. And I'll, I'll share mine, um, which is the gift of imperfection and the amount of learnings that we can have from that, not only personally for ourselves as a leader and then as a project as well. Sometimes those blessings of imperfection are how we actually mine the best nuggets of strategies. All right. Thank you, Judith and Aaron. Great conversation. And Kyler, that was a, a nice, uh, interesting topic and a, and a great conversation with two experts that, uh, I enjoyed hearing from. So thank you for, for leading that conversation. What were uh, some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this episode in general covered so many nuances around digital transformation that really have the power to decide the success and optimization of your project. So one thing I wanted to kind of leave the audience with was our 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report, which not only includes our top 10 list that you referenced with Sam earlier in the episode, but everything from our implementation strategies to organizational change management to communication plans, all of those different assets um, within this 50 plus page playbook. So this really kind of is our thesis, if you will, of digital transformation. And I think it's helpful to wrap together these two conversations around technical systems and overall understanding of how important company culture is in your digital strategies. Um, so I'll pop that QR code up here. You can um, get it on our website, scan our code, or if you're listening on our audio formats, it's in the description notes um, within this episode. Uh, so that that's kind of a follow-up to kind of tying together all of these really important conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we covered a lot of stuff here today, and that's a good takeaway is that 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. So be sure to check that out. It's a free download on our website, so um, you can check it out on that QR code, or you, you can also go to the description field of this podcast for that, as well as other resources that we've included links to. Uh, and we do that every episode, by the way. You can find these links on every episode we publish, uh, just to give you resources and things to, to point you in the right direction as you continue down your, your digital transformation journey. And uh, you can always reach out to Kyler or I to chat about your your transformation if you'd like to chat more. I've included my contact information below, so feel free to reach out if you want to chat about your project, even if it's informally and you want to just brainstorm ideas or bounce ideas around. Be happy to chat with you, so feel free to reach out um, as you continue your digital transformation. So all that being said, thank you, uh, Kyler, for another great episode. Thank you to the audience for the great questions. Thank you to our guests, uh, Sam Gupta, Judith O'Callaghan, and Aaron Robeson, um, all great contributions to the episode here today. And uh, again, you can find us again next week, same time, same place. You can go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to see all the past episodes as well as any upcoming new episodes. Transformationgroundcontrol.com is where you can find it all. So thank you for joining here today. We look forward to seeing, seeing you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Have a great week and take care. 